Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Aaron and Patricia. My name is Patricia. And my name is Aaron. And today on the show, we're going to be covering the winners of the Annie Awards. Pokemon Presents live-streamed on Pokemon Day announced a new games and DLC. Puppeteer Noel McNeil releases a new memoir. The Owl House pitch video with audio has finally been released online. There will be new Lord of the Rings movies that was announced by Warner Brothers. The Nintendo Direct on March 9th will focus solely on the Mario movie. We want to wish a very special happy 18th anniversary to Avatar The Last Airbender. Warner Brothers is suing Paramount over South Park streaming. A video game school stumbles on a way to get dropbacks capped back in class. Hardin Valley Academy students save classmate from choking by watching Bob's Burgers. Scalpers list Metroid Prime Remastered Physical Edition for twice its recommended price. And AI is learning to outsmart humans in video games and in real life. You're listening to Aaron and Patricia on the 27th of February of 2023. Uh, you might notice me being more active on a couple of things. Um, I'm just still deciding what I'm going to do with the Aaron Meta show at this point. So, uh, you know, I know I keep talking about it all the time. Like, you know, when am I going to come back? And uh, now it's at a point where people actually in real life are starting to ask me, you know, when am I going to come back? So, uh, you know, <laughs> look, listen, when I'm ready to make an announcement, I'll let everybody know. Right now, I'm still deciding what I'm going to do. So, but. All right, then. And as for me, I have posted up several episodes of my podcast. You can check out the episode of Casual Chats, uh, where we talked about the Disney wartime era with Chris, a.k.a. Rowdy Seymour from TV Trash. And also we have the Matilda the Musical that we did on the Roll Doll Retrospective on YouTube. So if you're interested in checking it out, then please do so on either the podcast feed, which if you type in Old School Lane, you can find me on all the podcast networks, Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, all those places. And and then finally, you can just check it out on YouTube. Cool. Our top story today, we're going to be talking about the winners of the Annie Awards. So the Annie Awards just happened uh, literally two days ago. So it is basically an award ceremony where they recognize animation shown in cinema and in television. So we briefly uh, covered this last week on Aaron and Patricia, but now we finally have the winners. So are you ready? Okay, go through them. All right, then. So let's start things off with uh, the best animated feature. We have Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio from Netflix, Puss in Boots, The Last Wish from DreamWorks, The Sea Beast from Netflix, Turning Red from Pixar Animation Studios, and Wendell and Wild, which is a Netflix film in, a, in correlation with Monkey Paw Production and Gotham Group Production. And the winner was Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. Um, not too surprising. I mean, like, it's the movie that's been talked about basically by the anime. And not by the animation industry, but by the animation fandom, pretty much. Like, you know, this is the this is Guillermo Toro's, you know, um, big middle finger to everybody who thinks that animation is for kids. Exactly, right. yeah. So it's a sweet karmic justice for animation treated so poorly over the last year, ever since things from the pandemic started to settle down a bit. And with everything going from Netflix's dumpster fire to HBO Max's slash Warner Brothers dumpster fire to all the shows being cut off dramatically by various other networks and even streaming services, this is sweet justice knowing that Guillermo del Toro, who has been a stand for animation, saying no animation is not a genre it's a medium and you can be able to do whatever you want with it it's not just a kid thing he was the one who won the annies and you know what this could be a top contender for winning the oscars um well we'll see i mean like um uh, i mean i don't want to play him down 
But, uh, I mean, you know, Hollywood's Hollywood at the end of the day. And uh, so I don't know if uh, it'll go that far or not. I'm not sure. I'll be honest with everybody. We'll uh, see. Yeah. Anyway, so let's go over to Best Animated Feature Independent. So we have Marcel, The Shell With Shoes On, Charlotte, Inuo, Little Nicholas, Happy As Can Be, and My Father's Dragon. And the winner, no surprise, considering that we have talked about it, and I think it was even nominated for various things, was Marcel, The Shell With Shoes On. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, i got to be honest, I've not seen Marcel with the shell, uh, sorry, Marcel the shell with shoes on, so, I mean, good. Yeah. Try, selling that, try selling that three times quickly. <laughs> like, you know, good gravy, it, it's, got a, it's got a difficult name, I'm really surprised it won on that regard. But, uh, yeah, I mean, um, I've got to be honest with you, independent, you know, animation really haven't had to catch up with yet, so uh, it's uh, sort of kind of passed me by a little bit, I've got to be honest with everybody. Yeah. All right, so next one is Best Animated Special Production. We have The House, The Sandman, The Boy, The Mole, The Fox, and The Horse, Superworm, and Prehistoric Planet. And the winner is The Boy, The Mole, The Fox, and The Horse. I have not seen this one, have you? I've not seen any of them. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I mean, I have seen little bits of The Sandman when that was out on Netflix. It's based off of a really well-known Neil Gaiman book. But I have not seen it myself. Yeah, um, and here's another so. thing as well. Like I don't have Netflix. I have Disney Plus. So I mean, yeah, like, so everybody, I, I so everybody who says I miss out stuff on Netflix, I don't have Netflix. <laughs> Everyone stops saying, "Can you recommend this for Netflix?" There's that for Netflix. I don't have Netflix. I have Disney Plus. Okay, fair enough. All right, next one is best animated short subject. We have Black Slide, The Flying Sailor, A Muck. Ice Merchants and Love Dad, and the winner was Ice Merchants, which uh, I have not seen, sadly. I've not seen either. <laughs> There's a theme developing here. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, we'll get to some more familiar stuff pretty soon. Next cool. one is um, uh, Best uh, Animated Television slash Broadcast Productions for Preschool Children, and we have uh, Gabby's Dollhouse, Cakey Cupcake's Cousins, Rise Up, Sing Out from uh, the episode Name Tag, Spirit Rangers, the episode Thunder Mountain, The Tiny Chef Show, which is the episode Pancakes, and finally, Eleanor Wonders Why from Rest is, with Rest is Best. And the winner is The Tiny Chef Show, which I am familiar with The Tiny Chef Show. It's basically, you know, those like quick little videos that you see online about like the really, really tiny food preparations, and then they put it all together. Cool. Yeah, I've seen those bits before, but I had no idea that they actually made it into a show for kids. So, yeah, I mean, good on them. I mean, it's, right, a, now, it's, this... it's a great concept, so I mean, I'm not yeah, too surprised Yeah, it is a pretty interesting concept. I mean, the fact that they're, you know, like actually cooking with really, really tiny, you know, devices and various uh, utensils to actually make food, that's pretty unique. Yeah, I mean, All like, right. uh, they, they, they were kind of like jokes in certain animated cartoons. So, like, mm -hmm. you know, uh, does that demonstrate really, how poor people were? <laughs> like, as I don't know. Like, you know, they did it in the Mickey Mouse cartoons. They did it in that one episode of Dumb and Dumber, too. They even did an episode of SpongeBob where SpongeBob made the little tiny patty so that he can be able to uh, feed it to, I think it was a cockroach or something. So, yeah, they have played this joke before, but imagine that, but in real life. Mm hmm. Yeah, so this is the one that has gotten so much controversy from people. <laughs> uh, you'll find out why. So, Best Animated Television slash Broadcast Production for Children. So, we have Big Nate, The Legend of the Gun Tig. Moon and Valley, Lonely Mountain, Abominable, and The Invisible City, Everest Returns. 
The Owl House, King's Tide, We Baby Bears, The Real Crayon, and the winner was Abominable and the Invisible City with Everest Returns. Okay, I've not seen that, so I don't know what it's about. Well, you know that movie from DreamWorks that we talked about years ago called Abominable? About oh, right. That girl from... Yeah, they have an animated series. Okay, um, I never knew that. Yeah, I never knew that either until I found out about this. So Is it better than I the movie? <laughs> That's a great question. I don't know. Apparently, it must be because it won an Annie over the Owl House. Yeah, well, um, I, I don't know what they were thinking. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, like, you know what? Uh, you know, um, I got nothing. I got to be honest with everybody. Like, I can't d d justify why you would pick, you know, a DreamWorks TV series episode over, you know, an original and, you know, also a very highly admired and very highly rated um, Disney cartoon show, a cartoon show that we've probably not seen, you know, the same same kind of quality that we've not seen since, like, you know, the 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 late the late nineties, pretty much. You know, like it's just it's, uh, yeah. Um, I'm confused about this choice. I really am. Like, you know. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people online were very pissed off. It's and so like... they should be. Like, you know, it's it's the Owl House. I mean, like, it's just yeah, it's, exactly. uh, it's it's running away with everybody at the minute. And uh, I, I'm yeah, I, I really without actually watching the Abominable TV show. I, you know, I can't believe I'm actually saying that. Like, I, I couldn't tell you why it could be better than you know the King's Tide of the Owl House. I mean, like, uh, I don't know. Maybe maybe the Owl House put out the wrong episode to put up for put up for say to put up for a nomination. I don't know. I like mean, it. what episode do you think should have been nominated if that was the case? Um, I mean, like, uh, we'd have to, good grief, we'd, I wasn't, we'd have to go through it again, I think, to figure out, I mean, like, there was a lot of great episodes, like, one every kind of like, ended up being better than the other, pretty yeah, much. Yeah, I mean, we, we talked aspects. about that in our uh, discussion of the Owl House Season 2, A and B, so if we're to assume that with the nomination of King's Tide, that maybe we're looking into, like, episodes that came out around Season 2, B, so, I mean, looking into that, we have um, a lot of contenders. I mean, we, we even talked about in Aaron and Patricia that, like you said before, that a lot of the episodes just became better and better as each episode progressed because it was able to bring in a lot of things that um, was able to build upon each and every single storyline and character arc that we saw at that point in time. And not to say that King's Tide was bad. I mean, it was a great season two finale. And, you know, being able to finally get to see more of the collector and being able to, um, you know, see more of the planning involving with the other characters. But, um, yeah, but again, I think, gonna... you know, what, what epicness did the, uh, the, the abominable TV show bring to, bring to the table? We don't know because well, I mean, we've we, never seen yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Let's just put this in perspective that we have not seen the abominable animated series on Netflix and I know that it's probably going to be a long while until You know we what do. now this actually starting to make sense now because you've seen all the comments on the Dreamworks uh, you know video saying that you know when are you going to review the TV series I mean maybe there's probably something to these television series maybe that we should be probably be watching maybe they actually are well written and actually are really good yeah, I mean, there's so many of them, though. Unlike Pixar, in which the only times in which they've done an animated series based off of their movies was Buzz Lightyear, Star Command, and Monsters at Work. But every other movie from DreamWorks has had an animated series. It all started with, you know, the Penguins of Madagascar, and then it continued on and on and on. We've had Kung Fu Panda, we've had How to Train Your Dragon, even Boss Baby has an animated series. Well, there's demand so for it, so, I mean, of course, you know, that's what they're going to do. 
So, I mean, yeah, like, exactly. if, if one keeps, you know, if, if they keep getting a lot of hits, you know, doing these doing these TV series, you know, after they release a movie, then, you know, that's what they're going to keep doing. So, I mean, like, who knows? Maybe I might get a bad guy's TV series at some point. You know? Yeah, maybe. I mean, from the looks of how things are going about, then I wouldn't be surprised. So I, I mean, I wouldn't I go. A... I wouldn't go that route with the bad guys. I mean, like if they played their cards right and decided, like you know, keep releasing movie after movie. I mean, they have a really good franchise on their hands. I mean, it, it is based off of a book series, so yeah, I could see them having more sequels. Exactly. Yeah. So you know, do more of the books. For sure. Yeah. Anyway, so I have a list of the episodes that would have probably been in the no uh, in the nomination at that point in time, looking into King's Tide. We probably would have either had a nomination either on Edge of the World, Labyrinth Runners, O Titan Where Art Thou, or Clouds of the Horizon. I mean, Edge of the World. I mean, like it was. Uh, I think it was something else in uh, in regards to like all the episodes. You know, like it's. Uh, I mean, uh, yeah. Um, there, there was many to choose from. I mean, obviously the booking tied on because obviously it was a great finale to season two. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I mean, but again, I don't know, again, we're just repeating ourselves here, without actually watching any of the other episodes, I couldn't tell you if one was better than the other, so. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so I guess we can just uh, say that um, I know a lot of Owl House fans were really disappointed in this, knowing that I doubt that they'll even get a nomination for next year's Annie. So, yeah, th th this was pretty much their only chance. Well, I mean, unfortunately, they've decided that there was something that was, you know, a gasp better than you know this episode of The Owl House. So, mm -hmm. but I mean, again, I can't make an educated, you know, opinion on that. I mean, like, it is sad that, you know, it didn't get it, but, you know, at the same time, you know, uh, well, again, I'm going to be repeating myself, so, you know, I might as well shut up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, so let's just move on. So, next one is Best Mature Audience Animated Television Slash Broadcast Production. Uh, Harley Quinn, Batman Begins Forever, Rick and Morty, Night Family, Tuca and Birdie, The Pain Garden, Bob's Burgers, Some Like It Bot, Part 1, 8th Grade Runner, and The Simpsons, Treehouse of Horror 33. And the winner is Bob's Burgers, Some Like It Bot, Part 1, 8th Grade Runner. Well, I mean, like, uh, The Simpsons have been back on the bounce, but I don't think enough to win an Annie. I don't mm. think. So, I mean, yeah. also be, people love Bob's Burgers, and so it doesn't surprise me that, you know, they've walked away with this one. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. All right. Now, I want to highlight some individual achievement categories. So, um, outstanding achievement for animated effects in an animated television slash broadcast production. We have uh, the bull, the, the boy, the mole, the fox, and the horse, Cars on the Road, Love, Death, and Robots, The House, and Prehistoric Planet. And the winner is Love, Death, and Robots. I've heard a lot about this series in which it mixes up different animation styles, and it's kind of like an anthology horror slash sci-fi series. So I have not seen any episode, but I've heard a lot of people talking about it. Mm. Yeah, I mean, All right, so uh, yeah. So. Yeah. All right, so next one is Outstanding Achievement for Animated Effects in an Animated Production. We have Avatar The Way of Water, Lightyear, Minions Rise of Gru, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, and The Sea Beast. And the winner is Avatar The Way of Water. What? Now, can I... Yeah, so let's talk about this, shall we? So as you guys know, for the most part, the Avatar series, and we're talking about James Cameron's Avatar, not The Last Airbender, we'll get to that later... So it's a live action movie and the characters more or less are, you know, CGI'd with a little bit of motion capture. 
does this count for animated effects? I will. Is- I probably would say no, because like it's just even some people who you know, uh, I probably even know fans of Avatar who say that this is an animated movie. So like, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know how this can be justified. Yeah, these Annies are very strange. Uh, have, have you noticed that? Like, I mean, the only uh, I mean things that we kind of really agree with right now is probably Girl Mugantoro's Pinocchio. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's just it's, yeah. yeah. This is very strange. Mm-hmm. All right, so next one is um, Outstanding Achievement for Character Animation in an Animated Feature Production. We have The Bad Guys, who has been nominated twice. Uh, one person is Jorge Capote, and the other person is Ming Hong. Turning Red was nominated twice. Uh, Teresa Falcone and Eric Anderson, and then Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio was Tucker Berry. And the winner is Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio with Tucker Berry. <laughs> You had two goes at this nomination. <laughs> Pinocchio still steals it. Yes. <laughs> That's hilarious. Oh, no way. You know, don't, don't, don't get me wrong. Like, you know, I, I like Turning Red, and uh, I do like the bad guys. I do adore them. But, but you know, that's just, I find it hilarious to me. Like, they, you know, you, you basically, you, you spun the wheel on the, on, on the roulette wheel, and it's, it landed on double zero. Like, you know, just good grief. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Let, let's let's move on. Outstanding achievement for character animation in a video game. We have God of War Ragnarok, Horizon Forbidden West, Cuphead: The Delicious Last Course, Potionomics, and The Moss Book Two. The winner is Cuphead: The Delicious Last Course. That Not does, too surprising. That, yeah, that doesn't surprise me in the slices. You, you, you know, like uh, the way that Cuphead is developed and the way that it is actually developed, like a traditional, uh, you know, uh, you know, early, you know, 1900s animation, you know, project. So, mm-hmm. like, you know, of course, you know, that's uh, yeah, I'll, I'll be amazed if that didn't win that uh, that nomination. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I so I've got agree. two, I've got two uh, winners I agree with so far. Okay. Uh, Next one is Outstanding Achievement for Character Animation in a live-action production. We have Beast, Finch, Avatar The Way of Water, Jurassic World Dominion, and Peacemaker, and Avatar The Way of Water 1. Well, yeah. I mean, I I agree with that. I agree with that, too, but why did it have to win for animation? Um, Yeah, that that makes no sense to me. That doesn't make any sense, considering that it already won for live-action anyway. Anyway, moving on. Moving on. Okay. Outstanding achievement for character design in an animated feature production. We have Luck, Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, The Bad Guys, Rise of the TMNT, and Wendell and Wild. Before you announce the winner, I'm really surprised Luck's in that nomination still. Yeah. <laughs> I'm amazed Luck's in that animation. Good yeah, grief. Yeah, like seriously. Even though that this is supposed to be the very first production from Skydance Animation, and this is the major one that was supposed to be like, oh man, this is John Lasseter's major comeback. And then it just kind of came and went pretty quickly. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so the bad guys won this one. Um, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, I agree with that, too. I mean, the character design has been something that we have never seen in a DreamWorks animated film. I mean, I know that for a lot of people, it's like taking cues from Spider-Man Enter the Spider-Verse. And even before that, you know, we've had like the Lego movie and the Peanuts movie with its different styles of animation. But no, I think that the bad guys. Definitely well, in defense of in defense of the bad guys, they needed a, a medium a, like, a, you know, a particular art style that was going to complement like, you know, um, them being in a in a you know uh, a 
um, it's kind of like you know spooky, kind of like sad, not spooky, but like you know, kind of like a, like a Mission Impossible type of like setting, and then all of a sudden it goes all that action. And uh, really, the type of style that the bad guys went with was probably the most versatile out of the lot. So mm -hmm. I mean, they made the right decision, and good grief, it's, it's paid dividends now. You know, yeah. and uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, so I don't blame them the way that they went. Like you know, all because Spider Verse just did it first doesn't necessarily mean they can't be used in other ways. So oh you know, sure, yeah, I'm, I'm glad the bad guys won this one, and yeah, they they did the right thing. Mm hmm. All right then. So let's go into the next one. So outstanding achievement for character design in an animated television slash broadcast production. Amphibia, the hardest thing. Intergalactic, maybe Ruse, um, yeah, Intergalactic, um, Oni Thunder God's Tale. That's Japanese, uh, isn't it? Yeah, Oni Go <laughs> Thunder God's Tale. Yeah. Oh, did I guess? Yeah, Spirit Rangers, and then Love, Death, and Robots, and the winner is Love, Death, and Robots. Uh, well, I'll lose that on, like, no, sorry, Amphibia loses out on that one, so, uh. Well, I mean, to be fair, for character design, I mean... I mean, I guess, um, you know, it makes a lot of sense because I know that with Love, Death, and Robots, it is an anthology, so maybe they had a lot more variations of di different character designs, so maybe that's what they were going for. Okay. All right, so next one. Outstanding achievement for directing an animated television broadcast production. So we have um, uh, Baymax, uh, the episode Sophia. Exception with the episode Misprint. The Boy, the Mole, the Fox, and the Horse. Uh, more than I want to remember, and Oni's God's uh, Thunder God's Tale, and the boy, the mole, the fox, and the horse won that one. Okay, well, I'm, I'm, not, I'm gonna have a tongue twister reading these. <laughs> I think we, I think we basically, you know, trying to get our way <laughs> through this. Other by the way, everybody, we're doing this when we've just come after a hard day of work. <laughs> so, like, you yeah, know, give, give us <laughs> all, all right, a break. So you what, let, let's just focus on the ones that. Um, let's just let's just go through this really quickly. So, outstanding achievement for directing an animated feature production. We have um, Marcel the show with shoes on my father's dragon turning red Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio and Wendell and Wild Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio won this one cool all right next one we have uh, outstanding achievement for editorial in an animated feature production Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio Lightyear Puss in Boots the Last Wish the Sea Beast and turning red Puss in Boots the Last Wish won this one uh, sorry so oh hey so uh, what did they win this for uh, outstanding achievement for editorial in an animated feature production editorial yeah, editorial. So, what does that entail? Um, editing. Oh, editing. Oh, okay, then. Sorry, like, uh, I thought it was something to do with, like, you know, publishing or something like that. It's like, you know, like, uh, what, was, was that the book? <laughs> like, <laughs> editorial? Like, uh, okay. Yeah, it, it, it says right here that it is an Annie Award given annually to recognize the excellence by the work of editors and the editing team in an animated feature film. Oh, okay, then. That's, that, that makes more sense. Yeah, I'm sure that it probably has a lot more sweeps and a lot more dynamic shots if it was like praise for its editing. So, yeah. well, I mean, sorry, have you seen Puss in Boots? No, yet? I have not seen it yet. All right, well, I won't say anything yet. And by the way, there's going to well, be a I lot mean, of there's going to be a lot of Angry Dream Machine fans that are asking, why have you seen it yet? <laughs> I will get to it at some point. I mean, here's the thing: we we've both seen Lightyear and we both seen Turning Red. Now, in your opinion, does it have good editing in Puss in Boots: The Last Wish? Um, yes. Definitely. Okay then. And I'm sure right, you'll then. say this. So uh, in the first, in the beginning of the movie, you'll definitely agree with me. That it does. Okay then. So you agree with this uh, win? I agree with yeah, definitely. 
Okay, then. So, moving on. Outstanding achievement for music in an animated television show. We got um, The Boy, The Mole, The Fox, and The Horse, The House, Love, Death, and Robots, The Cuphead Show, and Oni, Thunder God's Tale. The Cuphead Show won for this one. Okay. Not too surprising because they have pretty good music. Yeah, I mean, I- I've not seen it myself, but, uh, I mean, I- I'll-, I'll take everyone's word for it. Sure thing. All right, next one. Outstanding achievement for music in an animated feature production. We have The Bad Guys, The Sea Beast... Turning Red, Mad God, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. Pinocchio won this one. Yeah, again, like you know, they're, they're sweeping the Annies. It's it's you know it's uh, it's yeah. brilliant to see. So. All right, so I'm gonna just let you know this. They also won for outstanding achievement for production design in an animated film. Um, let's see what else we got. Clear so, out the um, cabinet. Yeah, we're on the cabinet. Uh, let's go to voice acting next. So, outstanding achievement for voice acting in an animated television show production. We have Candy Milo as Witch Hazel, Tara Strong as Batgirl, Harley Quinn and Raven in Teen Titans Go, and DC superheroes Mayhem in the Multiverse, Karen Melina White as uh, Dijonet in The Proud Family, Louder and Prouder, Oof. Maurice LaMarche in Mr. Big in Zootopia Plus, and Fred Tattashore as Bang in Storybots Answer Time. Maurice LaMarche won this one as Mr. Big in Zootopia Plus. Oh, of course. You know, he's the heavy hitter in all of this. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, is he going to be him or Tara Strong, effectively? And mm-hmm. uh, no disrespect to, uh, you know, DJ's voice actress, but good grief, was she saddled with a, <laughs> with a terrible character? <laughs> mm. Oh, yeah. I'd be amazed if she, she, if she won that one. <laughs> all right, so moving on. Outstanding achievement for voice acting in an animated feature. Uh, Gregory Mann as Pinocchio in Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. Um, Wagner Mora as Wolf slash Death in Puss in Boots The Last Wish Zaris Angel Hator in The Sea Beast uh, David Bradley as Geppetto in Pinocchio and Jenny Slate as Marcel with Marcel the shoes uh, the shell with shoes on uh, Jenny Slate won for this one okay congrats alright then and, and uh, Marcel the shell with shoes on also won for Outstanding Achievement for Writing in an Animated Feature okay well uh, I'll have the, to check this out now <laughs> yeah um, next one, we have Outstanding Achievement for Writing in an Animated TV Series. We have uh, Baymax, Big Nate, Love, Death, and Robots, The House, and Tuca and Birdie, The Pain Garden, and uh, Love, Death, and Robots won this one. Okay, cool. All right, and finally, let's go over to the Juried Awards. We have uh, for the June Foray Awards, which is uh, highlighting uh, female voice actors, we have um, Mindy Johnson. The Certificate of Merit Award goes to John Omohundro. The Ub Iwerks Award goes to the Visual Effects Reference Platform. And then finally, last but not least, we have the Windsor McKay Lifetime Achievement Awards, which is awarded to Pete Doctor, Craig McCracken, and Evelyn Lambart. Very well deserved, I have to Mm -hmm. say. And, uh, yeah. All right, so to give you a quick recap, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio won five out of the nine uh, Annies. Marcel, the show with shoes on, won three. And Avatar, the Way of Water, and Puss in Boots, the Last Wish were tied with two. You notice there are no Disney movies that have won this nomination. Yeah, that's, that's pretty terrible. That is bad, considering that we had Turning Red, Lightyear, and Strange World wasn't even nominated. Well, of course. Why would it be nominated? You you and I agreed it was pretty pretty, pretty average. Pinocchio is the the glittering thing out of all of this. 
in my opinion. Like, uh, you know, it makes you wonder, like, you know, are we now moving to the point where, you know, some of these classic stories, you know, Disney shouldn't be telling them anymore. It should be held down to other people. You know, like... I mean, uh, it, we have seen throughout this year... Oh, well, I mean, not this year. Last year. We've seen throughout last year that in a slew of pretty average movies, the ones that have stood out were the ones who were not the big contenders. Like, we just read Marcel the Shell with Shoes On as, like, a major winner for a lot of these nominations. And that was an indie film. Exactly. And, yeah, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio was a movie that a lot of people were caught surprised in in a slew of other Pinocchio movies that came out last year. We had the live-action remake. We've had uh, Lionsgate. We've had, um, you know, the, uh, you know, obviously Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. There, there were a lot of Pinocchio movies that came out last year, and this is the one out of all of them that stood out. Yeah. I'm going to say something really controversial now, but uh, there's one, you know, we, we, why don't you, we talked about the nominations before then, but uh, there's one uh, animated show that's been making a lot of noise in my social media feed, which I really thought was actually going to end up at the Annie's, but it didn't. Do you know what that was? What's that? Spy X Family. Ooh, oh, that would have been really interesting to see. Yeah, like, you know, I really thought, like, even all the buzz that was going around, I thought, yeah, I thought I was going to see them at the Annie's, but no. Like, you know, mm. it's just, it's, uh, huh. No, man. Um, well, it, it may be bad for Disney, but you know, you know, the, you know, uh, anime right now didn't really get a, get much of a mention at all. When you really I mean, think to about be fair, it. I think the Annies are mostly focusing on like um, more uh, American stuff, so maybe that's what it is. Yeah, but still, like you know, so uh, given the how big the the genre is, but you know, anime's not been any bigger since you know. Have you ever seen anime at a bigger point than now? Like you know, given the fact that it's like it has multiple streaming services, given the fact that it's like there's multiple studios now, given the fact like you know we're, we're they're at a big point, which you would have thought you know uh, somewhere down the line, you know, with all this talent, with all these uh, shows, with you know all the stories that they get told in 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 this format, you would have thought one of them would like you know brought home an Annie this year. But didn't. That would have been really interesting. I, I mean, we would have had like a parasite situation in which you have all of these American uh, produced films, and then that one movie from South Korea ended up winning the Oscar. Exactly. Yeah. Like you know, the the Oscars is ahead of the Annies right now in regards to like you know recognizing you know <laughs> Far Eastern talents. I mean, we've so. had one nomination with Inuo, and then of course we've we discussed earlier about um, Oni, but for the most part, you're right. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, congratulations to all the winners, and hopefully that we can be able to see uh, more along the lines of some other awesome stuff to be nominated for next year. So we'll be we'll be keeping our eyes peeled. Cool. All right, so the next bit of news. So um, as you guys know that February 27th is Pokemon Day. It happens to be the anniversary of when Pokemon Red and Green came out in Japan. And then eventually we'll get like Red and Blue in other places. But yeah, they decided to do a very special Pokemon Presents live stream where they were announcing various things from new games to DLC. And the one game that a lot of people have been wondering, where is it? Is Pokemon Sleep. <laughs> now you're probably wondering yes pokemon sleep it is basically an app where you get to put in you know the amount of times that you're sleeping and then when you wake up you get like you know various um amenities such as like you know your various pokemon sleep around you and it actually tracks on how you sleep are you a person who sleeps with your back are you a snore are you a snoozer so yeah i've i remember hearing about this back around 2018 or something or maybe 2019 and there was no mentions of it. And then eventually they finally released some information about Pokemon Sleep. And I was 
was like, okay, well, I mean, I remember it was like a blip, but I didn't really know too much about like, okay, um, now they're finally going to be, you know, bringing in more of, um, you know, the, the, this announcement, which, okay, I mean, you know, good, good for them, for the, for the people who are really excited about it. So let me well, just I, read I, off. I, well, I, I was to say, I think all the right wing lunatics are going to love this game because it's not woke. Shut up. <laughs> okay, let me explain to you what the game is. So it says right here, the app will track your sleeping patterns and will show you different styles of sleeping of the many different pocket monsters you can encounter with the game. It aims to turn sleeping into entertainment by having a player's time spent sleeping and the time they wake up affect the gameplay and letting players wake up with their Pokemon every morning. It'll be coming out on summer of 2023. Cool. All right, another thing that a lot of people were really um, excited about was Pokemon Cafe Remix. So this was a game that already came out previously, but it's getting DLC, and it's featuring the Pokemon from Scarlet and Violet as DLC. Available as part of the minigames as new member of the staff, the three new Pokemon are also joined by Victini, Mimikyu, Eevee, and Celebi, who are returning as delivery candidates. So basically, if you're a huge fan of like various cooking games like Cooking Mama, think about that, but for Pokemon. Okay. So yeah, for yeah, cool. All I right, mean, you're not one... actually cooking and eating the Pokemon, are you? <laughs> I hope not. I really hope not. Yeah, like, you know, that's uh, that would be something I mean, else. I, I have heard, you know, I remember in um, Gold and Silver that the, that Team Rocket were cutting off Slowpoke Tails because it was actually really delicious in a stew, but I was like, okay, I hope we're not going into this again. <laughs> uh, Pokemon, gotta eat them all. <laughs> I, I wouldn't be surprised if there's some guy out there or somebody, who knows, that probably made like a, a top ten list of Pokemon that I would definitely eat. <laughs> yeah, which is like, well, I mean, you're gonna starve to death, pal. <laughs> <laughs> they're not real or I mean you agree like you know if you end up like you know getting like those stuffed Pokemon as well like you know man <laughs> Florida man dies easy stuffed Pokemon <laughs> now there's right, a, now there's right. a Florida headline that's a Florida headline Florida man caught by eating a stuffed Magikarp thinking that it was actually fish <laughs> Oh, Florida great. man gets caught by getting a milk tank thinking he can make <laughs> burgers out of it. Florida man evolves to dead. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, let's let's move on before we go insane. Pokemon Concierge, a, a stop motion animated series for Netflix. Okay, we have a new animated series that's not connected with the uh, the the actual Pokemon anime. It says right here that. It will create using stop-motion animation and features Haru, the concierge of the Pokemon Resort, and her trusty partner, Pokemon Psyduck. Um, this literally was just announced, like, literally just a few hours ago, so we know nothing of it. The only thing we have is just a poster saying that it's going to be coming soon exclusively on Netflix. Let me ask you an interesting question, well, maybe a weird question, but uh, do you think Psyduck's the Waluigi of Pokemon? How so? I mean, like he's just like he's just like this weird thing, and like he's always portrayed as like you know uh, this really like weird kind of character. Mm. Really? Yeah, I mean, I guess so. It is true that Psy uh, you know, Psyduck is a psychic type, but he doesn't really use a lot of psychic abilities unless, of course, if his headache is really, really strong. So he kind of looks like a derp most of the time. So I guess that could be a possibility. Uh, mm, I don't know. Maybe maybe I'll get yelled at by fair by saying that, but I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> exactly. I mean, like, especially since we have, like, over 1,000 Pokemon at this point. Yeah. I mean, it's funny enough, like, yeah, even though there's, uh, like, thousands upon thousands of Pokemon, like, you know, everybody still gravitates towards Pikachu and Charizard. 
or like or, or, Mew, or Mewtwo. I mean, we it is true that there are still a lot of fans who only stick to the Generation 1 Pokemon. I mean, you know, there are some people who who haven't gone past that because maybe they think that they've gotten too old for it. And then there's some people who think that the later generations have become pretty lazy with their designs. And then, you know, a lot of people call them Gen 1ers because of that. Mm, well, I'll be a proud Gen 1er in that case. Okay, fair enough. I mean, as for me, I, I I at least like some of the Pokemon designs from other generations, but that's just me. Do you know what, right. do you know what recently came up with my YouTube recommendations recently? Well, we were talking about, like, South Park later on in the show, but, uh, you know, that, that episode, like, you know, Cheap Pokemon, you know, like, oh, uh, you yes. got to buy him, you got to buy him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I, yeah. I remember the story in which when uh, they uh, Matt and Trey came up with the idea of the Chim Pokemon episode where, you know, there was literally a guy from Japan who was just pointing out about, you know, how Americans have big dicks. And yeah. so they were like, yeah, let's see if we can do that, but add Pokemon in it because that's like the new hot thing right now. One of them's a shoe. <laughs> 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 oh yes grief. i remember shoe shoe <laughs> <laughs> all right so let's move on uh pokemon masters ex we have uh new uh, six new classic pokemon trainers are appearing in the rally in pokemon masters ex so for those who don't know it is basically a video game where you get to you know play with or against the you know the gym leaders or the uh elite four New ones who are being included are uh, Cynthia from Diamond and Pearl, Iris and Adler from Black and White, Deontha from X and Y, Steven from Ruby and Sapphire, Lance from Red and Blue, and there will be some other announcements including DLC by Pokemon Sword and Shield. Um, other announcements, speaking of uh, Pokemon Go, Pokemon Go Plus Plus is going to be coming out, and it's also going to be connected with Pokemon Sleep and the original Pokemon Go. I know it's, it's, it's confusing because it's called Pokemon Plus Plus, but yes, I mean that's essentially what it is. It's going to be like yeah, a little it's, device. It's kind of like, like saying Disney Plus Plus, like you know, like you know, here, here's more Disney streaming, you know. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's ridiculous. And then finally, the last thing that was announced was the Pokemon and Scarlet and Violet expansion. So more DLC featuring two major storylines for the games, including Teal Mask, which is going to be coming out in fall, and then the Indigo Disc, which is going to be coming out in winter. So the Teal Mask is about that the players are going to be visiting a new area called um, Kitakami, and then Indigo Disc will be about that they'll be an exchange student at Blueberry Academy. So that is pretty much it for the Pokemon Presents. It was literally only 20 minutes long, so it had less announcements than the Nintendo announcement, uh, the ten Nintendo Direct, but makes a lot of sense. Well, uh, better than a, better a Teal Mask than a Majora's Mask, or is you in a hell of a lot of trouble. So. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. All right, then. So let's move on to our next bit of news. So, uh, no McNeil. I'm sure for a lot of people who grew up in the 80s and 90s already knew about him. So he has been various things on Sesame Street. He has um, played as Magellan in Eureka's Castle. But I'm sure a lot of people probably know him as Bear in Bear in the Big Blue House. He's still, to this day, a puppeteer. He does a lot of training and doing workshops. He even has his own series called The Show Me Show, which is about a young puppet who has autism and teaching about 
you know, how to cope with it. And it was it was basically inspired by his son who has autism. So um, basically, Noel has decided that he was going to be releasing a memoir based off of his own life, chronicling all the stuff that he did from learning from the Jim, you know, learning from Jim Henson about how to do puppetry to working on Sesame Street, doing a lot of, um, you know, various characters to eventually you know, becoming Magellan in Eureka's castle. And then, of course, the big one that he did was with Bear in the uh, with Bear in the Big Blue House. So I'm actually really interested to read it, considering that I have followed Noel's work for years. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, but you know, here's the thing about this for everybody who's not familiar with Bear in the Big Blue House. It was a pretty big show. You know, it was, right? yeah, yeah, like you know, it was. Uh, you know, everyone remembers the, the bear. Everyone remembers the moon. Everyone remembers the house, and everyone remembers like you know all, all the characters that were in there too. You know, like yeah, it was. Uh, I it, remember it, it, at a time, yeah. in which when it was almost as big as Sesame Street in terms of like, and uh, you know, you have a show about puppets, and you know, it makes a lot of sense because it was you know done by the Jim Henson Corporation. It was created by. Um, you know, Mitchell Kriegman, who you may know as the creator of Clarissa Explains It All. So after he was done with Clarissa, he went on to create, you know, Bear in the Big Blue House. Kind of reminds me of when, after Jim Jenkins was done with Doug, he went off and created the preschool show Allegra's Window. So, yeah, it, it was, I never, like, sat down and watched Bear in the Big Blue House myself because at the time that it came out, I was, like, way too old for it. But I have seen it from afar, and I remember when I first saw, like, a clip of it, I was like, oh, wow. Why does that bear sound like Magellan from Eureka's Castle? And then I found out, oh, it's the same person. <laughs> Duh. Okay, now here's a really important question. What's that? Um, who would win in a fight to the death, uh, Bear or Barney? Bear. Okay, oh, yeah, I was going to say Bear. So, yeah, uh, like, I mean... <laughs> I mean, you don't know, really like, for, like, Barney in his corner? Like, you know, you don't think he would be able to hold his own? <laughs> against, I mean, against even though he's bear? a dinosaur, I mean... Ugh. I think he's yeah. probably more. I mean, if we had to like say we, we put them both, like if we I put them both in a boxing ring and like you know have them like you know, like have like no not like like a fantasy fight like a proper like scrap. I could probably imagine probably Barney's probably more padded, probably more than Bear is. I don't know. Like, I mean, yeah, just, he is. He is more padded considering that. Um, you know, the material is a lot different than, say, with, um, you know, with Barney. I mean, obviously, we, you know, the padding and the, the puppet design with the Jim Henson Corporation compared to, like, Barney's design, which was done by a different company. I, I take it that Barney would probably win out in terms of padding, yes. So maybe in that aspect, probably. Yeah, but I, I, I would I'm, still... I'm just having a, a refresher on, like, you know, what Bear, you know, looks like in that. And, uh, oh, okay. I don't that, know. Yeah, like, sure. If Bear got knocked down, I think maybe he has more ability to get back up than Barney does. Yeah, he does, because, I mean, at least his body is evenly proportioned, while as Barney has a really big head and a tail, so it'll probably be a lot harder for him to get up. Yeah, probably. I'm just thinking, yeah, like, in regards to, like, looking, at, looking at Bear at the minute, like, you know, um, is he comparable to Big Bird? In the way that he's he is like actually because it's used by it is because it's pretty much more or less used by the same techniques that he would you know uh, animate you know like the styling of Big Bird except that the difference is that um you know it's not as tall as Big Bird but yeah it's more or less done by the same principles. I mean, like uh, to be honest with you, I think dare I say I think there's probably more more room for like you know maneuvering I think in Big in Bear than there is in Big Bird. 
to be honest with yeah, you. it is. But I'm taking that it'll probably be a little bit more exhausting for him, especially since, you know, you have um, you have a television screen right in front of you. And also, you know, having to move with your arms will probably have to take a lot of like strings and maneuverability. And I mean, I'm sure that you, have you seen those like here's another thing. Those have you seen like those miniature fans like you have on desks, you know, like, you know, on a hot day and like, you know, they just like spin around like you feel like it's like USB. And things like oh, that. Sure. Like, you know, I guess if you had like one of those mini fans, I think you probably have an easier time fitting that into his costume than he's a Big Bird. I think I think Carol, I think Carol Spinney probably would be sweating it more out in in in, in Big Bird than you know uh, Noel would have been in, in Bear. I mean, yeah, and I think maybe he'll that, tell me otherwise. I don't know, but you know, that's yeah, just how I, mean, I see it. I guess it. we'll have to talk to Matt Vogel if we want to know about you know if the designs of the you know the workarounds of Big Bird have changed since Carol Spinney has done it. So. I mean, I haven't met Matt yet. I mean, he hasn't been in any of the conventions that I've been in. So I, w I would love for him to come down here someday and I can ask him that question. Yeah, that'd be kind of cool. Yeah. Anyway, so the uh, the memoir is out right now. So if you're interested in checking it out, you can purchase it at your local book retail or order it on Amazon. Yeah. And so once you're reading with it, you can say goodnight to the moon. Yes, uh, saying goodnight to the moon, who, by the way, is voiced by Lynn Thigpen, who you may remember as the chief in Carmen Sandiego, or as the radio announcer in the 70s movie The Warriors. That's crazy to think about, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, like, yeah, it's probably the best thing, like, you know, uh, have you seen Carmen Sandiego? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, uh, you know, that's another thing. It's like the moment that I heard, um, you know, because Luna always shows up in every um, episode, like towards the end, and she always sings with um, Bear. And so I was thinking, why does that sound like the chief from Carmen Sandiego? And I'm like, oh, they're the same person. No, there's a crossover. Where, where in the big blue house is Carmen Sandiego? <laughs> And, and, and don't forget about Eureka's Castle. <laughs> Where Eureka's Castle is come in San Diego. <laughs> yeah. Why not? Okay, so, yeah, let's go over to our next bit of news. So, after many years of the Owl House pitch video being out online, especially since, you know, fans love to dig it up because they were really interested about how this show came to be, the problem was is that there was no audio, so nobody could be able to listen to it. Well, now there is, thanks to Alphibia, where they were able to post up the video, and it does finally have the audio. Which is really strange, because, like, uh, who was it who said that, you know, the, the footage that did get leaked online was just test footage? And like, it was uh, test footage technically, yes, but the the, the audio was never released. Yeah, and uh, but it, it was kind of, like, implied that there wasn't any audio, but now there is. There has been, yes. Oh, yeah. So, well, that exists now. and uh, mm -hmm. Which, you know, when I first looked at it, I thought, oh, hang on a second. Like, uh, you know, given that it came from Owlphibia, you know, I, I thought that, oh, maybe some fans kind of, like, dubbed it over. But no, this is, apparently, this is uh, the authentic article from, from what it people is. are telling me. So, uh, yeah. I mean, like, uh, I was very surprised to see it. Uh, mm -hmm. I'll be I retweeted it the minute I saw it. To say, like, you know, yeah. hey, there it is. And uh, so, and apparently uh, in the original, like, pitches, apparently uh, Willow's name was actually going to be Pauline from the looks of yeah, it. Yeah, it was yeah. going to be Paulina, yeah. Yeah, so, like... And uh, then, um, the, 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 and then, of course, like, Hunter is a completely different character. He was originally supposed to be a prince named William. Yeah, well, I mean, he was just there for, like, as an idea. I don't think they actually fleshed out who actually everybody was going to be to start off with, so... I think, yeah, so uh, yeah. essentially it was, it was those five characters. I, I'm pretty we sure had... Hunter's changed, like, five times before they came, like, you know, with the final product. 
I'm pretty I mean, sure. usually that is I'm usually that would be the case in which eventually a character would transform so much that eventually they would become where they are today. They would have like different voice actors. They would have different designs. Like King, for example, he has a completely different color profile. Yeah, well, it makes Hunter's uh, character even more tragic because now he doesn't. You know, uh, even at the very beginning, he didn't know who he was. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so dark. But, yeah. yeah. And speaking of dark, like, oh my goodness, some of the designs and the animation of this is really super dark. Well, that's like, Dana I, I can, for you. Like, you know, of course uh, that's yeah. Dana for you. Yeah. And I can see why Disney was kind of hesitant on picking it up at first because this stuff is almost nightmare fuel. Yeah. Like, you know, this would have been like, do you remember when they had Brenna Vista? As like you know, they're like adult kind of like you know uh, place to put like where all the all the adult stuff goes. Like you know, oh, like, I thought uh, it was Touchstone. Uh, was it Touchstone? Oh yeah, it was Touchstone. Like you know, like uh, yeah, that, that's where they put in like all the uh, PG thirteen rated R movies. Yeah, you yeah. can see, you can you can see the Touchstone logo on that stuff, couldn't you? Yeah, yeah, like, it, it probably would have been very similar to Nightmare Before Christmas, in which, you know, before Disney was really excited about, like, posting every single thing Nightmare Before Christmas related on Hot Topic and on their Disney platforms and the Disney theme parks, they put it on Touchstone because they were afraid that they wouldn't be able to um, make the amount of money and notoriety because of um, thinking that it would ruin the brand. Yeah, I miss Touchstone. Mm, yeah, me too. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, I mean, if you are interested in checking out the pitch video, then look up online. It's only like less than two minutes long, but you can see where the ideas of what the Owl House would eventually be came from. Yeah, like, you know, that, that would be another exhibit in like, you know, the Moving Image Museum down over in New York. Like, oh, know, that'd like be it. really cool. I would love to see that. Yeah, like, you know, I really hope like uh, they do like an Owl House exhibition somewhere at some point. Like, uh, mm. Yeah, that'd be cool. I would definitely go try and visit that if I could. So, yeah, okay. for sure. Mind you, I, I'm still amazed that there's still an Owlcon in Russia. I know we've talked about it before, but like, you know, seriously, guys, like, you know, so they've got to do an Owlcon somewhere in the Western world. <laughs> that know? is crazy to think. Yeah, exactly. So, but anyway, moving away from that, like, so, yeah, this is a nice little thing. And uh, also uh, now um, we're probably much, you know, like a month and a bit away now from like, you know, the final episode of the Owl House being released. Um, yeah, but, more or less. I mean, yeah. it's kind of crazy to think that within a month or two's time that we'll be looking into the last episode and we'll be pretty much finished. I really hope they do it as a good hour this time. Like, you know, like, no, like, you know, oh, hey, here's a couple of minutes, like, you know, to fill in the breaks. Like, you know, they, they say, look, you know, screw the breaks. This is going to be a full hour of Owl House. And, uh, you know, this, you know, I don't think they'll allow that happens. But if they did, that'd be, that'd be really cool if they did. Yeah. I would be yeah. really excited if they did. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, uh, do you want to speculate a little bit? I guess for you know. What sure. Why not? I mean, yeah. At this point, why not? Yeah, let's go for it. So, um, what do you think this new game the collector wants to play? Well, I mean, clearly the collector is very angry at Luz, thinking that, um, you know, she's going to take King away from her because of all the stuff that Bellows Rain had sold him. So I take it that maybe it's going to be like. Uh, a game that's, I mean, who knows? Maybe it'll be Capture the Flag, but then the loser goes into the moon. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. I really hope it doesn't end up being like Early Man, where it ends up being like a soccer game. <laughs> I hope not. God, I hope not. I mean, I would like it, but, you know, like, uh, I, I know how I everyone not. else would react. But, uh, yeah. I wouldn't. 
don't know. Seeing the collector rolling around holding his knee together, I think, you know, like, uh, yeah, after <laughs> being horribly tackled. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll probably enjoy that, but no, still. Um, but, you know, um, in regards to, like, what the game will end up being played, I don't know, like, I really hope they aren't going to do, like, the horrible thing of, like, you know, oh, hey, here's this horrible, really terrible game that you have to play, and you might die while doing it. Oh, but by the way, if you lose, or if you win, or if you do one thing or do another thing, you know, one of your family members will die, or something like that, you know? Like, uh, I really hope they're going to do that kind of thing. And then, make, you know, do this horrible thing where he has to choose between Eda and Camila. You know? Didn't we talk about this last week about the whole railroad thing? Yeah, like you know, it, yeah, actually we did. Yeah, and uh, but it still it still plays on my mind. Like you know, I can't think that's gonna. Well, that's what we're heading towards, in a way. I don't know. Like you know, I, mean, I, uh, I, 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 I want to kind of move away from that kind of thing of like on the nicer things. You know, like you know, mm-hmm. like, you know, like uh, you know, who knows? Maybe we might get the Lumity wedding. Like you know, like uh, it seems to be kind of hinting yeah, towards yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, remember when Luz Batista made that joke in the live stream where, um, you know, she was uh, saying like, you know, trying to quote unquote give away spoilers, and then uh, Luz said to uh, Dana, um, "Yes, uh, they live happily ever after after the big wedding, and then there's going to be like explosions and stuff like that." So we know how Dana tends to be a troll when it comes to like lying to the fan base or saying the truth of the fan base, but nobody believes her. So I wouldn't be surprised if maybe Luce is on it. Yeah, I don't know. I think uh, I mean I I I don't know. Like it, it's kind of hard to kind of. I mean, also I don't know if they're gonna go the whole like you know oh both the worlds are gonna like tie together because you know tie you know King will keep giving his blood away to like you know keep the keep the portal door open and stuff. Yeah, like, I mean I, if I that were the know. case, then I I think that was a very similar story to what happened with the Legend of Korra and Star Versus. And yeah. I know a lot of people are very mixed with it. The one thing I think that could potentially happen is that uh, you know do you remember that. Uh, a bit of uh, footage that got leaked of the boiling isles, kind of like you know coming to life and you know coming, uh, you know lifting itself up, like you know like uh, maybe maybe Bellas possesses the, the the entire boiling isles and like you know like becomes like you know this big massive like thing. That you know, kind of like you know, uh, Attack on Titans or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, we we've talked about that. That there has been a leak online about like a a giant titan who's lifting up. So maybe it could be the case in which eventually Bellows cannot control Rain anymore, and he has to control a titan. Yeah, like or maybe he becomes powerful enough to control the titan. I don't know. Like uh, mm-hmm. maybe 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 he does end up. Possess- Some people are suggesting that he might possess the collector. And, like, uh, maybe then it's kind of like, oh, no, well, we're going to have to help the Collector and get Bellos out of him. But then, after doing that, he becomes powerful enough to take over, like, you know, the the, the, the Boiling Isles itself, maybe. And uh, then, you know, after defeating him, obviously, they got no place to live no more, so where are they going to go? They're going to go back to Earth. So Yeah, yeah. exactly. I, I still am going on the theory that the, wi- that the witches that live on the Boiling Isles are not native to that world. I still believe they came from Earth, uh, so, you know, a couple of hundred years ago, I think. And they fled because of, like, all, like, the witch trials and, like, you know, all the suffering that they went through and stuff. I, you, I still believe could, that. You could be right. I mean, we've seen throughout this point in time that when Philip was around and he was able to look at all the other creatures, I mean, with the exception of maybe, like, one or two, there hasn't been really a lot of humanoid witches. Exactly, yeah. And, uh... And the moral of the story will be, humans are garbage. (laughs) Uh, Fair enough. Yep. (laughs) Humans destroy everything. Of course. Yep. All right, then. So I guess we can just speculate this and we just, you know, see where we go from here. Yep. 
All right then, so going over to our next bit of news. So Warner Brothers has announced that they're going to be doing some more Lord of the Rings films, which is not too surprising considering of a juggernaut that the Lord of the Rings franchise is oh, at this like point. This, this just, doesn't this just reek of desperation? You yeah, know, like, it know, does, actually. It, it does feel like the last roll of the dice, doesn't it? In a way. Yeah, I, I even remember that um, Movie Curiosities on Twitter made a joke about this saying, oh, look at us. We have all of these major movies and properties, and we made a lot of money off of it. Please buy us. Like, it's just, it's a good grief. Like, you know, like, uh, you know, uh, do you remember we talked about Freakazoid, you know, uh, last yes. week? You know, like, I actually would like a Freakazoid movie. You know, honestly, like, you know, uh, you know, uh, do that. Or like, you know, finally do the Batman Beyond movie. Like, you know, which uh, mm -hmm. they, they had an idea, then they, they cancelled it. Like, you know, it's just, it's like, you know, just, uh, I would happily take other ideas at this point, but just, just say, say you know, the, the Lord of the Rings, you know, movies were, were settled. Also, when the, when the Hobbit came out, let's be honest, it was losing steam. That, 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 and you could definitely tell at that point. And, but to now say, oh, hey, here's these other three movies, come on, guys. Like, you know, just, yeah. just leave it alone. No, you know, yeah, like, uh, the, the, did you not, did you not see what happened to Star Wars? Yeah, and we even talked about this last week with Star Wars, in which we had Liam Neeson complaining that there are too many spin-offs of Star Wars, and it's losing the original mystery and magic of it. Yeah, like, it's just, it's, uh, 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 uh no, I just, like, uh, you know. Everyone's going back to New Zealand again for, uh, you know, going back to the Shire. But uh, Well, I mean, I don't know about that, considering that, if you remember, it was Lo New Line Cinema was the one who uh, filmed the Lord of the Rings movies, and Peter Jackson was directing it. So maybe they'll get somebody else to do it. And that's going to be even worse. Mm. Like, it's just, it's, you know, like, uh, Peter Jackson had, you know, a good eye for the Lord of the Rings. But I actually like the original Lord of the Rings trilogy. It really, I do it really, too. yeah, I do, yeah. It's, I mean, I, I, you know, all the nerds tell me that oh, it's not as good as like you know actually reading the books. Which, by the way, like you know, any movie is not as good as reading the book. You know, in, you know, in most cases. Yeah, there are very, there are very rare exceptions in which the movie's better than the book. Exactly, yeah, and uh, I still get Harry Potter fans telling me that you know the books are better than the movies. You know, like you know, some like, of them are. I have to admit. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's just it's uh, so uh, it's just. I mean, I just, I just, I just get filled with dread. Thinking that you know, oh hey, we're we are so desperate right now that we are now going to you know create more Lord of the Rings stuff, and uh, that you know this is the this is the best way that we can go forward. When you know you could easily create some new content, or you can easily bring other you know ideas that are like in in the in the war chest. And you know, like uh, it's just I can't believe that Warner Brothers you just do a really horrible job squandering this. I guarantee you this. You know, let let's say Nintendo bought Warner Brothers. Like, you know, like, what? you know, yeah, yeah, so let's say they did it. I guarantee you, like, you know, uh, that they would probably put out way better announcements and make way better of their intellectual property than whoever's running Warner Brothers right now. Wouldn't you agree? Mm. Look at what they do. Look, look at every Nintendo Direct that's come out so far over the last couple of years. We, You know, right. everything that they've done, we've always been excited for, haven't we? I mean, yeah, it's like a, a major... It's like a major event for a lot of people to get into. Yeah, but you know, yeah, but when you hear you know re results from Warner Brothers, you just you just groan, don't you? Yeah, in recent years you have groaned, but back then you were like excited about like, oh, what's Warner Brothers going to be doing next? But yeah, you're right. In recent years, we're like, oh, what do they do this time? I mean, back in the '90s, maybe, but good grief, not not so much so now. Like, sure. You know. I don't know, like, you and know, would I be too harsh to say that maybe the wheels started falling off when they announced Space Jam? 
you know, back in <laughs> back in nineteen back in ninety nine. I, I don't know. But uh, I mean, like you know, it's just it's uh, they 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 can't write for Warner Brothers. They really can't. And uh, I, I think we are going to get into a situation again where you know Warner Brothers gets bought out by somebody else. Or Warner Brothers. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, especially since you know at this point in time, that seems to be a a reoccurring thing. Yeah, like uh, you know, and you know who's going to come by, and it's going to be it's going to be the mouse. Yep, <laughs> it's, it's going to be the that. mouse. Yeah, and yeah. then pretty soon they're going to have not only um, Warner Brothers, but they also have Fox under their wing, so they're going to be a major juggernaut. Exactly, yeah. It's just. A- I mean, they'll be really interesting. What what would they do with the, the properties that they have? I mean, does that mean that the mouse is going to be having access to all of the Cartoon Network characters? So we probably won't even have a Cartoon Network anymore? Well, I guess there's going to be more crossovers with The Simpsons. Mm. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, uh, we have crossover with like Scooby Doo and all the other Hanna Barbera characters. We have crossovers with all the Cartoon Network shows. We have cross- crossovers with all the DC characters. So yeah, Disney's gonna be massively powerful if they got a hold of them. Yeah, it is. Which is it's not gonna be a good thing in the long run. It really mm-hmm. isn't. Like you know, I'm gonna dread the day that you know I wake up in the morning and find that everything's owned by Disney. You know, like uh, yeah, you know. and pretty soon our podcast will be owned by Disney. Oh yeah, that's coming. Yeah, of course. It's inevitable that we'll be owned by Disney. Yeah, that'll be our retirement. <laughs> you know what? That wouldn't be too bad. Yeah, oh, well, <laughs> I don't know about that, but it's, uh, you know, like, uh, oh, hey, the, uh, the, the, the I mean, AI version. Don't, don't you want to spend, like, your last retiring years over in the Disney cruise line? I don't know. I just, uh, I think you and I will be on that cruise line, and then, uh, you know, we'll be looking at our, uh, you know, our futuristic, you know, whatever, holodecks or whatever that we'll have at the time, and uh, was the artificial intelligence versions of ourselves kind of like just, just spouting gibberish. And he's like, you know, yeah, I can just enough. see, I can see, I'll turn around to you, sweetheart, and say, yeah, I wouldn't have said that back in the day. <laughs> you probably tell me to go off and play shuffleboard. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so, well, I mean, that's literally all the news that we have is just the announcement. So we don't know anything about casting, directing, writing, anything Do like that. Do we want so, to know? I mean, it, I don't know. I mean, it depends if they uh, actually can pull it off really well. I mean, we've seen what happened with Lord of, Ring, uh, Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power. A lot of people really got into it when it was out on Amazon. You know what? Maybe we could turn this into a top 10. Maybe, like, you know, uh, let's have a look at uh, who potentially could um, take on this mammoth task. Um, yeah, IMDb does have a list of the top 25 greatest directors of all time. I'm only going to do the top 10. Yeah, so. do the top 10 because uh, we've already <laughs> we've already done enough time with the Annies. Okay, then. So, uh, number 10 in the according to IMDb of the top uh, directors of all time is uh, Milo's Foreman. Uh, what did he directed? Uh, he directed uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Mm. Mm, okay. Uh, number nine in this list is Peter Jackson, of course. I mean, we can't we can't include him. Sorry. Yeah, go on, you know, okay. I number- mean, I, I mean, maybe who knows? Maybe Warner Brothers will bring back Peter Jackson. Maybe. Well, time will tell. Um, number eight in this list is John Huston. <laughs> he, isn't he dead? Yeah. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, John Huston's famous for the Treasure of Sierra Madre, by the way. So. Uh, yeah, uh, I know who that is. Yeah. Yeah. Number seven in this list is Billy Wilder. Who did, what did he direct it again? The Apartment. No. Brilliant. Okay, then. Uh, number six in this list is Woody Allen. No. Okay, moving on. <laughs> no. Uh, 
imagine a imagine a lord of the rings movie directed by woody allen mm. it'll be like this you know uh, it takes place in new york city and it'll have like um you know various characters and acting like really awkward and have a lot of dialogue it's like okay here we go mr frodo we're gonna go over to mordor to drop off the ring yeah and <laughs> instead of like running to like place to place they'd just be walking just you know casually so, like, I mean, they were they were doing that in the movie, but exactly, yeah, I get yeah. what we're just trying to do. Yeah, okay. Number five in this list is uh, Francis Ford Coppola. Coppola. Oh, Francis Ford Coppola. No oh man, that would be really interesting. The guy who directed the Godfather movies, directing Lord of the Rings. Mm. Hmm. I mean, he has done you know the Dracula and the Frankenstein movies in the '90s. So, I mean, I can possibly see him do it. I mean. I, you know what? That's probably a very interesting one. This is the most the, the first interesting one that I heard in this list. Yeah, his upcoming movie, by the way, is a Megalopolis. Megalopolis again. You know, poss- I I can probably see it. Maybe. Okay. Um. Okay. Number four in this list is Stanley Kubrick. Well, he's dead now. Well, so he's we dead can't now, do so that. we can't do it. Uh, number three in this list is Alfred Hitchcock. He's also dead. So he he's can't. dead. Yeah. Um. Maybe maybe we should do like modern directors. Well, yeah, like uh, I mean, the n- number one in this list, by the way, Steven Spielberg. So. Yeah, and to be quite honest, I probably wouldn't see Steven Spielberg doing something like this. Mm. I mean, you know, usually when it comes to like his style, I mean, he does definitely go for more of the family friendly stuff. So, I would say that seen a much more different take on Lord of the Rings? I don't know. I, I definitely don't see him doing this. Okay, maybe you might like this list better. This is the top 13 uh, modern uh, cinema uh, directors of all time. So, according, all right, then. By the well, way, according to how stuff works. So, all right, then. Take it for what sure. it's worth. Okay, number 13 in this list is Wes Anderson. Anderson. Oh, Wes Anderson, Lord of the Rings. Oh, that'll be really interesting. It'll probably be very different, of course. It'll have a lot more of the uh, quirky, dry humor. But, I mean, I don't think that this is in his repertoire. Do you, do you remember the parody? They, they did a fantastic Mr. Star Fox. Do you remember? I remember, yes. I, I, can, I can imagine Lord of the Rings being kind of like that under Wes Anderson. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is true that for some occasions he would do adaptations, but for the most part, he does his own thing. So I love Wes Anderson. Don't get me wrong. I also love Steven Spielberg, but I don't think this is like part of their repertoire. Yeah. Number 12 in this list is David Fincher. Oh, God. (laughs) Do you want to see a more depressing side of it? Uh, I mean, like, it would be definitely different. Like, you know, he. It would be different, yes, but geez, that would be like. That will go into a way different direction than any of the others that I've heard uh, of. Justin Timberlake might finally get a Lord of the Rings movie. I don't know. But, uh... Oh, God, no, please. Okay, um, number 11 in this list is Tim Burton. Talking about depressing. Oh, God, no. <laughs> a Tim Burton Lord of the Rings movie. Good grief. Oh, jeez. <laughs> the, 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 the screen would just be black. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <gasps> okay, <laughs> you no. wouldn't be able to see Sauron because you know he instead he now that he's supposed to be Sauron the White Warrior, but he'll be gray. It was like, wait a minute, is that supposed to be Gandalf the Gray or Sauron? It's like, you know, Sauron is the gray one, Gandalf is like completely black. <laughs> 50, 50 Shades of Lord of the Rings. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. mo- moving on. Oh, oh, good grief! Number ten in this list is Clint Eastwood. Oh wow, Clint Eastwood. 
Um, he turned it into I, a was it what I mean he would probably turn it into a spaghetti western. <laughs> yeah, or, or either a spaghetti western or a dramatic true story. I don't see Clint Eastwood doing this. Yeah, um, number nine in this list is Edgar Wright. Edgar Wright, that would be a very interesting choice. I can definitely see him having the the humor and the style of Lord of the Rings. Oh, well, you, you can imagine Sean Penn and uh, you know uh, turning up in. Uh, it's like Simon Sean Pegg. Penn Sean is sorry, going Simon. to be Gimli. <laughs> yes, Simon Pegg. Sorry, and uh, you know. Um, yes, yeah, sh- yeah. yeah, Simon Pegg. Uh, yeah, I I can imagine like Simon Pegg. I mean, what would he, he would probably play as like um, I don't know Mary or Pippin or something like that. And I can, I can imagine like um, yeah. I I mean, if they were if you were to include his buddies from the Cornetto trilogy, maybe. Yeah, it's very brief. And number eight in this list is the Cohen brothers. Ooh, that would be really noir. A noir take on Lord of the Rings. That sounds really interesting. Mm. I don't know if it'll fit per se, but I mean, maybe they can make it work. Yeah. Uh, number seven in this list is Peter Jackson. But, I mean, obviously, he can't count yeah, in we, this. We, yeah. yeah. Unless, of course, Warner Brothers decides to bring him back. But again, we're looking at other directors. Yeah. Number six is Woody Allen again. <laughs> no. No. Oh, number five in this list is Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> Wow, Quentin Tarantino doing a fantasy film. He has never has he ever tackled fantasy? He's done he's done what let's see. I mean, he's done like, you know, um comedies, he's done uh dramatic crime movies, he's done like um biopics, but he's never done a fantasy movie. I don't think that's more of his style. He tends to be the kind of guy who doesn't really tackle in like adaptations, he just tends to do his own thing. Yeah, and also so, I think uh, I think uh, most likely Samuel L. Jackson also be turning up in Lord of the Rings if uh, Quentin Tarantino is probably involved. So he's like, you know, I would love to see Samuel L. Jackson in Lord of the Rings. I don't I know found what he'll it play with these motherfucking orcs in this motherfucking Middle Earth. <laughs> Everybody's <laughs> tripping. <laughs> We're gonna burn some rings. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good grief! Um, All right, okay. moving on. Number four in this list is James Cameron. Oh jeez, James Cameron. What I mean? Do you want some CGI? So do you want some Lord he, of the Rings with your CGI? CGI? He's gonna CGI everything. <laughs> yes, he's going to CGI the landscape. He's going to CGI the giant trees. He's going to CGI um, Gollum. He's going to CGI everything. Yeah, more so like maybe maybe there might be a possibility Arnold Schwarzenegger might turn up as well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there will probably be a lot of cameos. Uh, we're going to see Kate Winslet, Arnold Schwarzenegger. We're going to see, um, you know, uh, Zigourney Weaver. So, yeah, we're going to get a lot of cameos. Yeah. Number three in this list is Christopher Nolan. Oh, oh, Christopher Nolan. I mean, he does tend to delve into, like, you know, suspenseful, plot twisty, mind boggling crime movies or action movies. But fantasy, that would be a different take on what he would usually do, possibly, but it would be a completely different direction. Yeah. Uh, number two is Steven Spielberg. We've already spent mention about him. Yeah, and, I mean, uh, I, I could I could see Steven Spielberg try to do something like this, but the last time that we saw him do a fantasy movie was with the BFG. Yeah, and that didn't work out too well, really. No, it didn't. And uh, number one in this list, according to how stuff works, the thir- the best uh, modern director in cinema is uh, Martin Scorsese. 
Martin Scorsese, uh, that, I mean, again, he definitely tends to lean towards like a specific style of movies. Like I mean, a like, lot of know, crime he turned, he, he, Yeah, he turned, he turned The Lord of the Rings into a docudrama pretty much. Yeah, a, a pretty dark docudrama. I mean, it would be surprised like some of the uh, you know, Lord of the Rings characters you would see would be kind of based on real people. Like, yeah. You know, uh, yeah. I, I don't see him kind of doing this style. It's completely like a 360 turn from what he's known for. Oh, so, so, he tends so, to do a lot of oh, so, like, so, so that as well. crime like, Yeah, and also another thing as well is that, you know, if you're going to have Martin Scorsese doing this kind of thing, I guarantee you Leonardo DiCaprio is not going to be far too behind. Mm, so. Either that, I mean, you're going to expect to see Robert De Niro and Joe Pesci in there too. Yeah, exactly. And like, that would be very weird for Lord of the Rings. Yeah, Robert De Niro as Gandalf the Grey. Yeah. That would no. be a Joe Pesci as Frodo. Can't see it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. I think we talked this Anywho, out now, I think. Yeah, we have talked this out. So, until we hear more announcements about a trailer or who's going to be the director and all that stuff, we can only speculate. Mm-hmm. Anyway, let's talk about a movie that we're starting to learn a lot more about now. And we're uh, starting to have a lot of fun with, too, as we go f- further into April. And in uh, anticipation for the Mario movie, which uh, Nintendo Direct is going to bring us on March the 9th. So. Yeah, so this is a this is a, a Nintendo Direct that is specific on the movie. No game announcements, nothing of the sort. So this is going to be our final trailer until the movie comes out in April. And we talked about this last week about the small little um, you know clip that they released with the Mario Brothers plumbing, and we even called the phone number about um, you know what they had on their website. So the fact that we're going to get a final trailer and we're probably going to see some more stuff that we've seen in a lot of the clips that we've seen online as well as the posters i'm excited yeah i mean like uh interesting to see what they're going to focus on like you know if, if it was up to me jack black will be the uh, you know the, the star attraction pretty much in like mm-hmm. you know, in this nintendo direct like just get him sit down talk a bit more about it. i mean don't get me wrong like he's already like been to comic-con and he's already been like you know doing these all all these other things for it as well but uh, i think you know he you know I, here's the thing about this i still feel that bowser's going to be like you know the biggest thing in this movie I feel like you know. Awesome. I, I feel, you know he's got he's got the most story out of everybody in all of this. Like I, I get that this is a Super Mario or- origin story, but you know, like uh, a lot of like the events that are driven are driven by Bowser's actions, pretty much. So mm-hmm. I mean, like uh, he's going to be the most interesting character out of all of this, I believe. Yeah, so, yeah. I, I mean, to be quite honest, w- with all the stuff that we have seen with Jack Black, I think that he's going to knock this role out of the park. I, I really hope so. Like you know, he's got he's got everything. He's got all the momentum going for him into into all of this. I think I really hope that he's going to be the guy we're going to be talking about after after the end of this movie. I feel yeah. I, I can't wait for us to see this movie together. Yeah, like uh, and you see like people like splicing like his uh, clips together, like you know, having like putting a fight together between Bowser and uh, Poe. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, now that would be a fight but uh, now that's a fight that i want to see not the whole bear versus barney yeah exactly but uh so um i mean we pretty much got an idea of the story anyway like uh we you know after the sport after the uh after the ad that they did uh you know with, with the super mario brothers super show theme you know in it and uh obviously we're going to be looking at the, you know, the origin story of the mario brothers from you know and then how they ended up in the mushroom kingdom and then you know what they ended up doing to like you know stop bowser and uh, you know um the one thing i think they're also going to go on is that you know mario 
is obviously going through his origin path. He's good, he's training to basically be the the hero of the Mushroom Kingdom, and uh, so he's going to have to rely a lot on the other characters like Toad, like Prin like Princess Peach, and uh, you know various other people to likely get him to that point, including Donkey Kong as well. I think mm -hmm. so. I yeah. think it's just you know that's because uh, you know I, I'm I, I still you know also we had all the like you know people moaning online about like you know oh Mario is really weak in this movie like well yeah because this is an origin story and all, everyone who basically you know uh, starts off as origin starts off as like you know a character who doesn't know what the hell he's doing mm -hmm. pretty much right. like you know that's every that's every origin story pretty, pretty much. much yeah exactly yeah. so I mean. I don't know. How do, you, how do you feel about what we're going to be into, you know, in, in coming to Nintendo Direct? I mean, the more that I see the clips and all the posters, the more I get excited for it. Exactly, yeah. But what do you think the main focus is going to be, do you think? Well, I mean, like you said, it's going to be an origin story. We're going to get Mario and Luigi, who are two brothers who are plumbing in Brooklyn, and then all of a sudden they get themselves into the Mushroom Kingdom, and then Princess Peach gets captured, and then the Toads see Mario as, you know, the one who's going to be able to save the Mushroom Kingdom, and then Bowser comes along, and then we're going to have Kamek. So, yeah, I, I think it's going to be like a mixture between like all the stuff that we're familiar with in the games as well as its own unique take, which I'm hoping that this will be able to be a lot better of a cohesive story than the Mario movie we got almost 30 years ago. I get the feeling that, you know, one thing that might happen is that, uh, I mean, I think, you know, Princess Peach getting captured, I think it's going to happen probably in the final third. I think. Oh, you think so? Yeah, okay. I think so. Like, you know, if they're building up Princess Peach to be like, you know, a powerful, you know, a female character in this, and uh, which I'm all in agreement with, because you know, how on earth has she become the princess of this kingdom if she's not powerful? For goodness sake! Right, right. So I mean, like, I mean, there's the, going to the be that. that we and so I mean, the way I think it's going to go. I mean, I'm, I'm just speculating here, by the way. I'm not. Hopefully, I'm not giving away spoilers. But uh, so, um, you know, you have Princess Peach teaching Mario how to basically be able to, you know, uh, defend the Mushroom Kingdom and doing all of that. And then he gets ready to do it, and he fails the first time. And so Bowser, you know, basically just runs rampant over the Mushroom Kingdom, captures Princess Peach, and then we basically get to what is the beginning of the Mario game effectively right. and mario has to basically fight for eight, eight worlds to basically save princess peach and uh, then you know does it within the time frame that of the game would be effectively sounds just about right yeah like uh, it's basically gonna be a better finale than doom i hope <laughs> you know do you remember I the doom so. do you remember the doom movie good grief oh God, please don't re don't remind me yeah like you know it's just it's uh I i'm hoping it's gonna be way better than that hopefully way better than that so i hope so yeah but uh Right now, we've got a lot of reasons to be excited about this thing, effectively. I, I agree. I agree. Yeah. So, you know, uh, I look forward to it. Me too. Mm-hmm. All right, so the next bit of news, we're going to be celebrating the 18th anniversary to the 2005 Nickelodeon animated series Avatar The Last Airbender. I loved how some people on uh, social media were celebrating this, and that is that, uh, you know, uh, it's, the, it's the one year that SpongeBob lost the Nickelodeon Kids' Choice Awards. Yes, I remember. <laughs> this was all the way back in 2008, in yeah. which it won for Best Animated Series. Uh, yeah, and uh, SpongeBob does not talk about 2008, which I'm pretty happy nope. about, to be honest with you. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, um, look at the legacy it's left. I mean, like, obviously, we got Legend of Korra after that. And uh, now, you know, obviously, I mean, you know, say what you want about the M. Night Shyamalan movie. I mean, it did happen. And uh, Yes, but, it did happen. Yeah, and, but, uh, you know, now it's still massively revealed. Also, it made it come back on Netflix and became like you know their top show effectively for like you know weeks on end uh pretty much and so um you know um avatar has a lot going for it you know and uh, i really hope that uh, you know it can continues to go strong and we'll i believe also continues to go strong because we're going to see it back very tight very soon 
So, yeah, and yeah. we're going to see not only the Netflix uh, live action series, but we're also going to get a movie based off of the animated series. Exactly. So, And uh, also we've got the spin-off movies coming out too as well. Yeah, the yeah. spin-off movies, and we also have, um, you know, a new generation of fans who got into Avatar The Last Airbender when it came out in 2020 on Netflix, when people were staying at home and trying to protect themselves from the virus, and so it, it garnered, like, a new uh, slew of fans who had never seen the show because they were either too young or they, were even, they weren't even born when it was out. Yeah, and also, like, you know, all the, all the voice, act, you know, people, actors, you know, all the VOs, you know, who, uh, you know, who basically took part in that, in that thing, like, you know, uh, uh, you know, shout out to Olivia Hack, by the way. Like, you know, she's doing she's doing massive, you know, dividends on the on the uh, con convention route right now, and so all the yeah. voice actors, pretty and actresses, pretty much. Like, you know, they're, they're doing really well at the moment, and uh, so like, yeah, you know, again, I mean, I even met some, some of them uh, in Comic Con, if, as I mentioned last week on the podcast. Exactly, yeah. So, um, you know, it's obviously it, it has brought nothing but positivity. I, you know, uh, Avatar in regards to this, like, it's just it's uh, it's been an incredible, you know, uh, ride with them. And uh, it's going to continue too. Um, some of my favorite moments, I think, from Avatar. I mean, uh, obviously there was that hilarious moment when you know. Uh, I mean, it wasn't so, so hilarious, but so you remember when uh, um, it was. Uh, oh, you know, um, uh, Sokka was talking with, uh, um, and he was talking about how, how he's like his, his girlfriend turned into the moon. And uh, oh yeah, he was talking about the Tezuko. Yeah. Yeah, Tezuko was like saying, "Oh wow, that's rough, buddy." <laughs> it's like you know, mm -hmm. yeah. that, that, that's meme. <laughs> that's meme material now. And, mm -hmm. that, and uh, also, Ty Lee also is a meme, like saying, you know, oh no, there's uh, no problem here, <laughs> pretty much. You know, like, uh, yeah, yeah. That, that's that's you know, that's, that's in itself. I mean, you have a lot of like crazy moments. I mean, you, you know, when Sokka drinks the cactus juice, or when they always forget that Toph is blind, yeah. or the foamy, foamy mouth Boomy. guy. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah, the foamy mouth guy. Foamy mouth guy. Yeah. The foamy mouth guy. <laughs> the epic yes. fanboy, pretty much. Yeah, the big uh, fanboy. Oh, when... the blood bending also was a pretty creepy thing. Oh yeah, the, the, oh yes, right, that, yeah. every time I see that, it just makes me feel so uncomfortable. Like it's just like you know, you see, it's just oh, it's like uh, I can't believe they got away with that when you really think about it. Like, I mean, you know, think about it. I mean, like, it is true that our body is made of 70% water. Yeah, so the but you don't kind of, like, you know, put, you know, display that you can control it on a, on a show like that. It's like, well, they did get away with it, yeah. Oh, it just, oh, it just makes me cringe. <laughs> it does. <laughs> uh, but, but mind you, the, the big finale... I think it was probably like what topped it, like the mwah, like you know, just like you know, the fact that um, you know, Ang, you know, is just you know driving himself mad over the fact that you know he might have to you know, contemplate killing Fire Lord's, you know, uh, Fire Lord Ozai. Ozai. Yeah, exactly. And but you know, and that's eating him up pretty much as a character, and that's such great storytelling in regards to all of that because he doesn't want to kill anybody in that regard. But and he tries to find you know uh, uh, another way to do it, and obviously that becomes the you know. Uh, you know, there is. I think it's a golden axe reference, pretty much. You know, like you know, the the, the you know the the island with like the tur with the turtle on it. Well, I mean, it's much. actually based off of like a really well-known Asian mythology about the the turtle who has the entire world on his back. So. Yeah, yeah. It, it just kind of reminded me of Golden Axe for some reason. I don't know why. Yeah, but, of course. Yeah. yeah, with that second level with the turtle with the world on his well, back. I mean, it's yeah. a Sega game from Japan, so I guess they probably got the same thing too. I guess. Yeah, pretty but, much. Yeah, pretty I mean, much, it yeah. is. Yeah, I, I think that the 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 perils of Aang, you know, being a young kid, having to have the responsibilities of the entire world on his shoulders. And the fact that he didn't want anything to do with it is 
really you know complex especially since he's a young kid and he thought it was just a regular earthbender but then he realizes he's the avatar he's supposed to be the one to protect all the nations and keep a balance but, and well that's what makes him so unique as a protagonist because how many times you know you you and i you know in the 90s i like, saw like you know oh hey his big strong hero who like you know takes on like you know everything on his on his shoulders and like you know comes out and saves the day and you know every, you know everything's all right in the end roll credits Pretty right, much, right, and like right. you know, but we don't get that with Ang, which is so great because like it's it's more realistic. Like you know, you, you can't imagine someone like Ang having like that entire responsibility like just you know, shoved on the weight of his shoulders and everything. Like you know, it's just it's such a huge responsibility, and uh, you feel that with him. Pretty much, um, I, I I definitely do agree, and also the fact that every single Avatar before and even after him with Korra has had to deal with their own struggles of trying to maintain balance into the world, and for a lot of them, they had to be able to try to keep themselves afloat. And you know, it's, it's one of the things that I absolutely love. There's this one post on I, I forget which uh, site it was, but you know that in a time in which people wanted like a strong hero, he was supposed to be like the peacekeeper, and you know. Know, he was not a fighter. He was just somebody who wanted to have, you know, somebody who just wanted, you know, the, the fighting to stop and, you know, no more people dying and no more people losing their homes and all that kind of stuff. In a time in which the world needed a hero to stop the Fire Nation, who wanted to, like, be the warrior, he was the peacemaker. And for a lot of people, you know, that was like a failure of an avatar. And it's kind of like the same thing with Korra, in which, like, in a time in which people wanted somebody to, you know, kind of, like, be the peacekeeper, you know, in a time in which when there was a lot of conflict between the benders and the non-benders. You know, Korra was somebody who was trying to be the best Avatar, but wasn't able to do it because she felt that she was just so pressured by staying relevant because it was at a time in which when the Avatar's place in the world was just starting to become more obsolete. Yeah. So but the, the one thing that everyone came to the show for was basically the fight scenes. Uh, oh yeah, like. yeah. The, the choreography was fantastic. Shout out to Sifu Kisu, who was able to come up with the ideas of utilizing the bending abilities after, um, you know, Asian techniques and martial arts. You know, you have Tai Chi with the water bending and Huang Gar with the, um, uh, with the earth bending. Shaolin Kung Fu with the fire bending, and then. Uh, you know, all those other ones. I mean, they even had to hire a other uh, Sifu named Sifu Manny, who was able to give the unique bending to uh, Toph because she was blind and she used a different type of uh, earth bending than everybody else did. So, yeah, I think that the choreography, the music is fantastic. The animation is great. So, I mean, out of all the shows that came out of Nickelodeon at that time, it was definitely one that was completely different than anything else that would have been featured. Well, say, well let's revisit some of those fight scenes, shall we? So, uh, Game Rounds uh, came up with the top 10 uh, best fight scenes in The Last Airbender. So, shall we go through them all and see what we think? Okay. Yeah, okay. Uh, number 10 in this list is Top versus Zinfu. Yeah, that was actually a pretty good fight. I mean, definitely a starting point to what we get to see more of uh, Toph's abilities. Mm -hmm. uh, number nine on this list is Ang, Top, and Sokka versus Azula. Oh, that was a great fight. I mean, we got to see that even with the three of them together, they couldn't stand a chance against Azula. She was just that powerful. Mm -hmm. uh, number eight in this list is uh, Ang versus Zuko versus Azula. Yeah, uh, again, you know, going into how Azula was able to trump them all and she was able to, you know, pretty much defeat both of them. Yeah. Number seven in this list is the final combustion man fight. 
Yeah, Combustion Man was a very interesting minor character that showed up. And the fact that um, he had this really unique ability of shooting out a laser from his forehead. And we wouldn't see another character like that until Legend of Korra. Mm -hmm. But yeah, a f fantastic uh, fight. Very unique, that's for sure. Yeah. Number six in this list is Katara, Ang, and Sokka versus who? Oh. Okay. Uh, um, uh, in the second season, The Swamp uh, shows uh, some of the best imagery uh, for the exploring the characters' lingering feelings for the events of the first season, as well as foreshadowing characters from later episodes. This episode ends up in a fight that appears to be the uh, personification of The Swamp attacking Ang, Katara, and Sokka. In reality, this episode shows uh, how waterbending can be used in different ways, depending on the culture of those who are using it. Who protects the swamp by bending the vines in into a monster and uh, attacking those who would do harm to the swamp? And yeah, so, I, I am familiar with that, but um, I didn't think it was going to be that high on the list. I'm pretty surprised. Yeah, well, that's number six. Um, hmm. Number five in this list is uh, Roku versus Sozin. Oh, that would have been a really s significant fight. I, I wish it would have been a little bit higher, to be quite honest, because it's the one that kind of like leads up to the story with Aang, because... Be, you know, due to the fact that Sozin and Roku had different ideologies, that pretty much had gotten the point in which that uh, Sozin wanted to take revenge on Roku after everything that he's done, that, um, you know, he wasn't going to be able to team up with him for conquering the entire nations. And so that when, that's what made Sozin decide to find the next Avatar after Roku died. And so it would kind of like lead up to the rest of the series. Yeah. Number four on this list is Kitara versus Hammer. Oh, the bloodbending. The bloodbending episode. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. Well, yeah, that was that was intense. Yeah. Number three in this list is uh, Kitara and Ang versus Zuko and Azura. Zula, sorry. Azura, yes. Azura. <laughs> that was interesting. Uh, but, okay. Yeah. Azula, sorry. Yeah, but no, no, it's actually a, a really, really good fight. I, I mean, that was from the last episode of season two, if I remember. And this is when, you know, Zuko pretty much, you know, betrayed Guitara, saying that they were, you know, he was going to like join, um, you know, a not Azula's side. So, yeah, I, I thought that that was a really interesting fight scene. Katara fighting off Azula and then uh, Aang fighting off against Zuko. Yeah. Number two in this list is Aang versus Ozai. So this is the final battle. Pretty much. Oh really? Yeah, wow. I thought this would have been number I thought this would have been number one. Yeah. Well apparently it isn't. Number one in this list is uh, Azula Azula versus Zuko and Katara. Which oh, is like the fight okay. that took before that. Yeah, that's the fight before that, you're right. Yeah. Yeah, that was a that was a pretty significant fight. It was, especially since throughout the series at that point we've been following, you know, Azula's descent into madness. Because mm -hmm. like she, yeah, she, but, she believed that she was going to be the next Fire Lord, pretty much, and yeah. uh, you know he would, you know, were then you know Ozai was basically going to become like you know God, <laughs> effectively, the Phoenix King, Phoenix King, yeah. So yeah, and I, I think that I mean I could, I mean I personally for me I probably would have swapped the the battles, but yeah, it, it's um nonetheless very important and a great battle, by the way. Yeah. And, yeah, so, I mean, that's just the battles alone, but, you know, like, you're not just going for the fights. I mean, like, you know, there's, there's the characters, the story, you know, the the, the, the 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 huge world that they just go exploring around. You know, like, you know, like, uh, I mean, I don't care how many episodes of Pokemon they've been. Like, you know, I guarantee you that probably, you know, Ang and, like, you know, his friends have probably been on a way bigger adventure than probably Ash ever did. <laughs> I mean, it is true that, um, you know, Ash and the gang have been a part of, like, eight different regions, and they've collected who knows how many Pokemon, but, 
you know, for 61 episodes, it still leaves a, a huge impact on people almost like 20 years later. And it leaves people wanting more. That's the great thing about it. Like, you know, it's... Um... You know, who knows? Like, you know, will the you know, the Avatar will be as big as Star Wars one day? Like, uh, you know, it it is plausible that it could end up in that situation, and uh, then there'll be another thing for Liam Neeson to complain about. But you know, <laughs> yeah, who knows? Uh, we went over to that highlight to something that is going to make your head scratch. So, Warner Brothers, yes, we're going back to Warner Brothers again, has decided to sue Paramount. In favor of not having South Park stream on their service, which doesn't make any sense considering that South Park is aired on Comedy Central. And which streaming service has Comedy Central? Paramount, Paramount Plus. Yes. So let's read about this, shall we? This is from an article from uh, UPI. Yeah, do tell. Do tell. Okay. Warner Brothers Discovery filed the suit in the New York Supreme Court for the County of New York, accessing streaming service Paramount Plus of violating the terms of a 2019 licensing deal granting HBO Max exclusive streaming rights to the half-hour comedy show. The lawsuit also named South Park Digital Studios and MTV Entertainment as defendants, accusing them of violating the terms of the $500 million licensing deal. SPDS is a joint venture formed by Paramount and South Park creators uh, Trey Parker and Matt Stone. Warner Brothers Discovery contends the deal that it gives exclusive rights to stream both the show's historical catalog as well as new episodes with a promising of two new shows per year. In the lawsuit, it says that Paramount, MTV, and SPDS worked together to produce South Park content that fell outside the scope of the licensing deal, accusing them of grammatical sleight of hand according to the court documents. At issue are a handful of shows that Paramount's label as specials rather than traditional episodes and releasing them on its own Paramount Plus streaming services. The lawsuit also contains a breach of contract at the show's 24th season only contains two episodes, both label specials, and those are the COVID-19 pandemic specials. Warner Brothers Discovery now stopped paying licensing fee on some episodes, calling Paramount's actions a calculated and deliberate attempt to circumvent the 2019 deal to boost viewership and its own platforms. In response to the lawsuit, Paramount says that it has not broken any laws, saying, we believe that these claims are without merit and look forward to demonstrating through the legal process. Well, we that yeah, I mean, like, sorry, I'm, I'm sorry to get, you know, uh, cut you off, yeah, but yeah, I mean, go, like, go I, I, I wanted to cut you off like an early point, like, Warner Brothers pay Paid half a billion dollars for South Park yes. exclusively streaming rights. Mm -hmm. That's incredible. Wow. Like, you know, good <laughs> grief. I mean, like, I mean, don't get me wrong. South Park is an incredible show. Don't get, don't get, don't get me wrong about that. And, you know, like, uh, but, you know, to, to pay $500 million for. Yeah, that is, that is a lot of money, especially since right now Warner Brothers is in the red. I mean, they I, still have I like can see why they're angry. I mean, I can see why sure. they're angry because, like, you know, if, when you pay exclusive rights for a particular product and you don't expect that product to appear anywhere else, like, you know, like, so yeah, I think, you know, they have every right to say, oh, hey, hang on a second. Why is it that, you know, certain South Park things. Have appeared outside of that. I can't say, you know, like if if you, if I paid five hundred million dollars for South Park and had exclusivity over that product, like you know, I will be probably demanding, you know, you know, complete exclusivity. Like you know, no YouTube clips, no anything else. Like you know, you the only place that you can see South Park is on HBO Max. Nothing mm -hmm. else. 
You know, like uh, good grief. So yeah, in a way, I, I can't. You know, you know, we make fun of Warner Brothers like some of the decisions that they made, but in this case, I kind of don't. I can't blame them. You know, on, on the first part of that. So yeah, go on, mm-hmm. continue. All right. So continuing on with it says, uh, we also note that Paramount continues to adhere to the party's contract by delivering new South Park episodes to, to HBO Max, despite the fact that Warner Brothers Discovery has failed and refused to pay licensing fees that it owes to Paramount for episodes that have already been delivered and which you, HBO Max continues to live stream. Right. So. Yeah. I mean, well, hang on a second. Wait. So. They, uh, I'm confused. So the deal was that you know HBO Max paid for this content exclusively, but then at the same time they then had to pay money back to you know the to Paramount for. Yeah, it says right here that we believe that Paramount and Digital Studios embark on a multi-year scheme of unfair trade practices and deception which clearly gave HBO Max exclusive streaming rights to the existing library and new content. So, uh, let's let's run this by, shall we? So, um, basically, you have a, you know Warner Brothers Discovery paying $500 million to license it. And they are getting exclusive rights to stream both the show's historical catalog as well as new episodes with a promise of 10 new shows per year. But then we have the specials that exclusively aired on Paramount Plus, which was the the pandemic specials, as you remember. Those were the uh, the that was essentially what the 24th season was. It was just only two episodes, and it was basically those two COVID-19 pandemic specials, which aired on September 2020 and March 2021. The licensing deal stipulated 10 episodes, which were to be delivered each season. Warner Brothers Discovery has stopped paying the licensee fee on some episodes, calling them. Um, a calculated and deliberate attempt to circumvent the 2019 deal. So, yeah, this is a little bit more complicated than we bring up. Yeah, this is confusing. Like, you know, like, I mean, I, I would understand it better if it was like, you know, Warner Brothers Discovery paid, you know, a huge amount of money for South Park to appear on HBO Max, and uh, that is the deal, and just about that. But it looks like to me, like, it's all the bells and whistles have been kind of, like, included into this. Like, you know, like, you know, it's just, it's, it doesn't surprise me that this has gone to court. To become yeah, and we, and I understand that Warner Brothers Discovery is probably like really upset that they didn't get their ten episodes that they promised, and when they saw that only two specials were going to be released in twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one, I guess they stopped because they were thinking that it was just a a deliberate attempt to stop the deal altogether. So I guess they just stopped paying for the licensing fee. Yeah, like it's just it's mind you, like uh, I mean, um, it's bad on South Park Studios' part for like you know not agree. You know, I mean, if if it's true that I mean, you gotta forgive me, like I'm. Not be keeping up with South Park. I've always been kind of like you know, keeping up with like clips and things like that. I don't know what the you know the, the back end deal of all of this is, is but uh, I mean if uh, if Warner Brothers Discovery you know paid for a service and South Park Studios didn't deliver on that service, then yeah, I mean they have every right to drag them into court because obviously they've t- you know they've taken the money and effectively like you know created like you know two specials you know at one particular point and then didn't do anything else and didn't even bother releasing them HBO Max. They obviously ended up on Paramount Plus. Because of that, so like you know, yeah, right, that's. Right. Uh, I mean, I can sort of see in that angle where it's a breach of contract. Now, I'm sure. Now, here's the thing about this: like you know, I make it a thing not to comment on court cases. So there's going to be, you know, a court case that's going to sort everything out, and then by the end of the trial, hopefully, you know, we'll find out a bit more about you know what's really going on. But uh, I mean, um, I can see why it's ended up in court because like whatever deal they struck with one another seems you know very overly complicated. And you know, like it's just it's uh, yeah. This is uh, this is strange to say the least. Yeah, this is this is strange. Yeah. Yeah. This could be a South Park I mean, episode even... in itself. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't if- put it past Matt Stone and Trey Parker to make a South Park episode out of all of this. Yeah, they would probably make an episode about all of this. It's like, okay, we're going to have uh, Stan, Cartman, Kyle, and Kenny are going to be like, you know, watching their, you know, like watching Terrence and Philip, And, you know, they're watching it on, say, Netflix. And then all of a sudden, it, you know, it was originally supposed to be on HBO Max. And now there's this whole argument about like, okay... Um, HBO Max paid a lot of money for Terrence and Philip to be aired exclusively on Netflix, but then all of a sudden with a loophole, then we have, um, you know, Netflix airing specials. They're not airing episodes, they're airing specials because of the pandemic. So I wouldn't be surprised if Matt and Trey make a huge joke about this. Yeah, I I can see that coming. Yeah. I'm sure Paramount will try and talk them out of it, but... uh... You know, so while we're on the subject of South Park, I mean, uh, what do you think of this like the whole rumor that uh, you know uh, uh, Prince Harry and Me- Meghan Markle tried to stop uh, their episode from airing on, on? I mean, I'm not too surprised considering that pretty much this has happened since the very beginning, in which there's been a lot of celebrities who saw themselves portrayed in South Park and they were super pissed. Well, I some of them even got death threats. Yeah, here's the thing about this: like, you know, um, apparently this was like you know this story was like put up through like a quote unquote royal expert, which you know I've got to be honest with you. You might as well ask the janitor at Burger King what's going on with the royal family, to be honest with you. But, uh, I mean, like, uh, um, yeah, I don't personally believe it. I mean, like, uh, I don't think that, you know, why, why, I mean, obviously they probably will get pretty upset about it, like every celebrity does. Like, you know, but that's part of the course in regards to South Park. You know, like, uh, I mean, what is it about, you know, what? Why? why would this be different? All of a sudden, like, you know, I don't understand this idea that, you know, uh, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle would, you know, care about what South Park were doing. To be honest, celebrities with you. is one thing, royalty is another. Um, I don't know, but uh, you know, I think whatever. I I don't believe it personally. I think it's just it's. Uh, I you know, I'm sure we'll find out soon enough whether you know there is going to be any legal action after you know the Will Privacy Talk episode or anything like that. But um, I know. completely doubt it, considering that they'll probably give the whole freedom of speech thing. Well, yeah, it's the First Amendment, exactly. Yeah, but again, that's the reason why I don't kind of believe it because you know why would they? You know, what wh- wh- which court in America would take it? Yeah, I mean, this has been a major thing for South Park since the very beginning. I mean, they've made jokes about Barbara Streisand and uh, Bono, Jennifer Lopez. They've made a ton of jokes about these celebrities. And sure, a lot of them got really Uh, upset. Oh, yeah, Jennifer Lopez hated her episode. Good grief. Oh, she despised it. Oh, good grief. Yeah. Uh, who's like? I mean, which celebrities are like the worst? At, you know, I mean, obviously there was the Scientology episode. Good grief! Like, you oh know, yeah, like, that, yeah. That was, that was I mean, that, that, that probably is Jeff to leave the show, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah, like he's yeah. just yeah. I mean, there there have been some exceptions though. There were some celebrities who actually liked their portrayal of South Park. I mean, George Clooney saw the short of South Park in the eighties, and he was the one who actually distributed it to everybody through bootleg VHSs. And they thought that his d- dedication was so great that when they eventually got their show, he played as Stan's dog, and then he eventually played as the doctor in the movie. Yeah, exactly. Just this, uh... Yeah, so that was one of the very few times in which a celebrity was able to be pro-South Well, Park. keep in mind, you know, Jennifer Aniston also appeared in South Park too. So, yeah, uh, yeah she, she she was happy with what, what, what she was. I mean, yeah, so some celebrities are actually really cool with Matt Stone and Trey Parker. They really are. And, uh, you know, those that aren't, you know, basically just uh, end up kind of being worse off because of it. But, uh, yeah. I mean, I guess, you know, that's to be expected, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. 
Anyway, so yeah, until we hear more about this whole lawsuit, we're just not going to go any deeper than this. Yeah, we're I mean, just like, gonna keep we're just going to say that it. this is a there, there is a dispute currently going on between Warner Brothers and Paramount right now with a lot of other things in the mix, and it's confusing and could be a South Park episode in itself. <laughs> That's all we can oh, say. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right, so let's go over to our next bit of news. So this is pretty interesting for, you know, students who dropped out of class and then because of one class that you're really dedicated to can be able to get you back on track. So uh, this is from the New York Times, and this is about a high school student from Japan. So uh, it says it right here that Wataru Yoshida had left in the middle of 2020 because he was so sick of the rules that were going all around the, the schools in Japan, and he decided that he wasn't going to go back to school anymore and then out of a whole year in the class out of the classroom he decided to play esports and then finally when school started opening again in japan there was this one high school that actually had an esport class and that was what made him decide to go back into school because of that one esports class so it says right here that the esports class has a um traditional classwork with hours of intense video game training and it has the intention of feeding the growing global demand of professional gamers so this is pretty interesting we know how huge esports is in japan and in korea but something like this in america would have never happened well you want to say the same thing about college football wouldn't you like mm -hmm. you know back in the day but now look at it like it's huge yeah, it says right here that it's uh, a term called school refusal, chronic absenteeism, which was linked to anxiety or bullying, which has been around in Japan since the early 90s, when educators first noticed that more than 1% of their students were dropping out. Since the pandemic, the numbers have since doubled. And of course, you know, the United States has a, have a lot more higher of, of them for multiple reasons. But for Japan, it's for... Uh, a completely different case because schools in Japan are much different. It says right here that Japanese schools feel like hostile environments for children who don't fit in. Pressure to conform from teachers and peers alike is high. In extreme cases, schools have demanded that children dye their hair brown to match the other pupils or dictate the color of their underwear. Making matters worse, counselors, social workers, and psychologists are very rare in Japan. As they struggle to address the school refusal, educators have experimented with different models, including distant learning, and that was when they decided to open up different classes, including, um, you know, opening a school of the metaverse, which makes it look like it of a JRPG. So, yeah, a lot of the Japanese students are really getting into it. And there's a, a, lot, a lot of the older ones that are just, like, un not understanding it. But it says right here that... Um, the mix will continue on throughout the school year on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Pro instructed students on competition strategies for games such as Fortnite and Valorant. And one day students will gather around a whiteboard for a scientific lecture on the relative merits on Street Fighter characters. Right. I mean, like, uh, it sounds like a dream come true, I think, for anyone who, like, you know, wants to enter the world of professional gaming. And, uh, but, uh, I mean, if, uh, if there's demand for it, and, uh, if it's gonna lead to something, you know, something later on in life, then, I mean, by all means, I think that's gonna be a great thing, but, I mean, uh, I don't know, like, I mean, it really depends how big um, of, an of an employer, you know, esports gaming ends up being, 
effectively. Like, you know, he's like, he's everybody who's going to graduate from esports, you know, education actually going to be able to land, you know, a decent living going into esports later on, you know, a couple of years down the line. Or are they, are they going to make it more, you know, um, fluid where it can be like, okay, well, I've done this and it can get me, it may not necessarily get me into the job that I want, but it can get me something that I can, you know, obviously, you know, make an income out of, like, you know, in later life. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, it's like, I'm not going to dismiss it out, dismiss it outright because obviously, like, you know, uh, there, you know, there's a lot of people who would have turned around, and, you know, back in the day and said, you know, oh, well, you know, computers, you know, uh, classes are like, you know, oh, that's just a fad. Like, you know, the internet is just something that's just going to disappear because I know because I read it in the Daily Mail. But, you know, like, it's just, it's, uh, um, I can sort of see, like, why some people would look at this and think, oh, good grief. Like, you know, uh, how on earth are people going to be able to, you know, do anything like this? It sounds like, you know, uh, it sounds like a VHS, you know, a recording class, if anything. But, uh, you know, like, uh, at the same time, like, I'm not going to dismiss it outright because if they make it where, you know, you can get some kind of scientific knowledge and, you know, not necessarily go into esports, but go potentially into something else. If they make it that vibrant, then, you know, all power to them. But, you know, it's... Uh, yeah, I, I I do admit it is kind of a strange thing, <laughs> to say the least. So. I mean, it is. It, we're talking about a completely different culture. Yeah, exactly. And uh, but uh, yeah, and so I'm not knocking it. I'm just saying that. Uh, I mean, I would really be intrigued to see what what the later implementations would be of this skill, effectively. Mm-hmm. So right. That's what that's what I question. So. Yeah, I'm sure that they can be able to play around with it. I mean, if they're learning about the um, the scientific characteristics of Street Fighter characters, I'm sure that maybe a lot of them can, maybe they don't have to be like esports champions. Maybe they can go into, you know, game design, or maybe they can be able to be testers of video games. Maybe, maybe they can be able to do a whole bunch of things. I mean, I'm sure that there is more to it than that we're not familiar with. I mean, you, like we said before, here in America, esports is not really much of a major Thing. I mean, it, there is some people out there that are into esports and it's become pretty niche, but it's nowhere near the juggernaut that Japan and Korea are. Yeah. Oh, by the way, and um, I, I mean, I, I can't even imagine like Europe. I mean, how are you guys with esports? I mean, like, uh, um, it's. I don't think it's that big, unless I might be totally wrong. But uh, I mean, um, we don't have an esports team around where I am. I might be wrong about that too. But I mean, if they are, then they're not that huge. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like I'm. I'm sorry. Oh, by the way, I'm sorry to kind of change. Uh, gears a little bit here, but uh, uh, Rebecca Rose just a couple of hours ago while we're recording this, uh, she actually just confirmed the uh, test pilot, you know, ep- you know, uh, footage that was on. It's actually called an NTO, so it's called the next time on. Uh, okay. Then. So yeah, so basically, some test animation showed the vibe and the look of the show. Nothing in here was in the actual pilot, uh, which was only in storyboards. The actual pilot wasn't even to be the first episode, uh, but uh, the test uh, tone, but to test the tone and characters. Of what will be what will be described. So this is test footage, effectively. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. Nice to know. Thanks, Rebecca. Thank you, Rebecca. So, yeah. Anyway, back to esports. <laughs> yeah. So, I I guess that maybe for some students, I mean, I'm sure that we've known like one or two people who have decided to skip school because they were feeling really pressured on how the school system worked. And I'm sure that um, if they were able to get back from one class that they were really interested in, I mean, it just goes to show you that, you know, that can make a big difference in your education. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, if we're going to if we're going to go that angle, I mean, yeah, I mean, schools have to, you know, they need to engage with kids uh, in education and it can be through different ways. 
And, uh, you know, unfortunately, I think, you know, I'm going to go on like a massive rant here about education, which, you know, I wish, I feel a bit bad about really, because I've not stepped into school for like, you know, goodness knows how long. But, uh, I mean, to me, like, if you don't make school, you know, um, applicable to, you know, um, kids and get them engaged in learning. Like, you know, I guess kudos to, like, the whole esports, you know, class, because obviously it's getting kids engaged and into other, you know, you know, into other stuff as well. But, uh, I mean, if you don't do stuff like this, you know, to get kids back in, then by, by all means, you know, like, uh, you're going to struggle, uh, effectively, like, you know, getting kids to learn about stuff. So, you know, of course, that's going to, you know, that's going to be a difficulty, you know, in, in, in that. So, I, you know, uh, when you look at it from that angle, then, yeah, that's totally, that's totally understandable, pretty much. Mm-hmm. So. Right. Yeah. All right. So, uh, you know, best of luck to all the Japanese students who decide to go into this direction. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Good, good, good. All power to them. Yeah. So. Now, this one was actually a bit of a surprise for me, especially since, um, you know, we grew up with a show called Hey Arnold, and we have heard something similar to this before. So apparently a student at Hardman Academy had saved his friend's life from choking, and they were able to learn how to do the Heimlich Maneuver thanks to watching an episode of Bob's Burgers. So Wow, uh, <laughs> going full circle <laughs> again. Good yes, grief. again. Yeah, like, uh, so, I mean, this is the thing, like, you know, with animation, like, you know, you can do things like this. You know, I recently uh, d- uh, d- uh, went to a first aid class, uh, would you believe, and uh, they actually they said, like, you know, oh, here, here's how you do the Heimlich Maneuver, but they couldn't actually demonstrate it on it, because apparently you can do serious damage when you do that particular thing. So, I mean, mm-hmm. the fact that we have an animated show that can, like, do this without having like, to, like, you know, injure anybody, because obviously it's animation, so who's there to injure? So, like, uh, I mean, so, you know, once again, you know, you've got an animated you know, demonstration of something that can be done, which potentially could save somebody's life. Maybe should, maybe that should be a thing. Maybe, like, every single animated show should have the Heimlich Maneuver in it. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> as, a, as a safety prerogative. Maybe. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be really nice. It'll so, save a lot yeah. of people doing <laughs> Absolutely. that. Yeah, so... It says right here on the WBIR Channel 10 YouTube channel that um, the student saw his friend choking on a piece of candy and he rushed over and did the Heimlich maneuver on her immediately. And so when he was interviewed about like, how was he able to learn about this? He just said that he loves the show Bob's Burgers and he was able to learn from watching it. And so that just goes to show you that uh, once again, animation is not just some kid thing. I mean, it could actually save lives. Yeah. Unfortunately, there's going to be a lot of people choking after watching Velma. Uh, we're not going there. Yeah, okay. But anyway, anyway so yeah, um, uh, Lauren Bouchard, the creator of Bob's Burger, saw this YouTube video, and then he was just like flabbergasted that, he, you know, somebody was able to learn from, you know, his show that you would, it was able to save somebody's life. Yeah, I mean, I mean, after seeing what happened with Hey Arnold, I mean, yeah, like stories like that doesn't surprise me because we have talked about this before. So mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, if you want to check it out, like my one my one of my original interviews with Craig Butler back all the way back in 2011, would you believe? Like oh, you know, gosh. It's, yeah, it's like it's just so you know that it's uh, we we me and Craig still you know are amazed that you know there are people out there who have you know Hey Arnold has actually saved people's lives, <laughs> effectively. It's amazing. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. 
So uh, I guess we need to add Bob's Burgers into the list of uh, shows that could potentially save a person's life. But again, you know, like, you know, we were talking about wacky ideas before with esports. I mean, like, you know, would it be a wacky idea to say, okay, every animated show should have the Heimlich maneuver in it? Like, you know. Oh well, I mean, yeah, sure, why not? I mean, it's great. It's, you know, not only does it save people, it's a great gag. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't want to see anybody suffer from it, but I mean, if worse comes to worse that you don't know what to do with it, I mean, I'm, I mean, if you're not able to join like a class that you are able to learn from this, then I guess watching a show is almost just as good. Yep. All right, so let's go over to our next bit of news. So, as we mentioned last week, the N Nintendo, well, actually almost two weeks ago, oh my goodness, yeah, yeah, two weeks ago, um, Nintendo Direct happened, and a lot of games were announced, and one of them that was shadow-dropped was Metroid Prime Remastered, and this was a remaster of the original 2002 GameCube game of Metroid Prime. And so, a lot of people were able to purchase it if they wanted to download it digitally, but if you had to wait for the physical release, it would have came out on the 22nd of February. Here's the problem, though. Because Nintendo usually releases certain games in limited quality, I mean quantity, then scalpers decided that they were going to buy whatever copies of Metroid Prime Remastered they were able to either find on gaming stores or online, and then they doubled the prices. They doubled it in, you know, originally the price of Metroid Prime Remastered is supposed to be $40. But now there's a lot of, um, you know, websites such as eBay and Amazon pointing it out that they want to have it by 80 even $100. Why? Like, it's just this, I mean, I get there's going to be some people who are desperate enough to do that, but, you know, you could just download it, effectively. Like, you know, it's just this, uh, you know, like, I really hate when people do this. Like, you know, that's what, that's what, you know, stopped me from ever buying a, you know, a PS5 or buying, you know, an, an Xbox 3, you know, an Xbox Series S. You know, like, you know, it's just, it's, uh, you know, why, why, you know, the fact that people, you know, get them all up and then all of a sudden, like, you know, chomp up the prices on them. It's like, no, dude, like, you know, like, uh, I'll take my entertainment elsewhere, thank you. you know? Yeah, this isn't the first time that Nintendo releases limited amounts of something and then scalpers come in and buy so much of it that you can't even find it anywhere else. Amiibos, certain video games. It's it's ridiculous. Like Nintendo seems to clearly underestimate the potential customers that they could be getting. They they just seem to be really tone deaf with thinking that oh you know if we just only release like a few copies of it nobody will buy it. I mean, I mean they they always have underestimated the Metroid series because in Japan it's not a major franchise compared to like Mario, Zelda, or even Pokemon. So I guess it's not too surprising that they probably only release like a short amount of physical copies and then they immediately shadow drop the game immediately after they announced it i mean they didn't even build it build up to it unlike they did with metroid dread so i take it that they thought that you know okay we've had low sales of metroid in the past i mean even metroid dread which is now the highest selling metroid game of the franchise only sold 3 million compared to like the 20 30 50 million that they've gotten from other franchise games so I wouldn't be surprised if knowing the fans, they probably are aware of this and then they decide to take advantage of it from hardcore fans saying, okay, whatever copies that we were able to find, we're going to jack up the prices so that they have to... But by the way, I'm actually just looking at some some websites still have you know, Metro Prime Remastered you know, available and they're selling them for like you know, for, you know, 35 bucks. Mm -hmm. so like you know, like it's just. Uh, oh, by the way, oh, cool. This is this looks cool. Um, you know, th there's actually a, a copy of Metro Prime Trilogy available uh, for the Wii. 
Yes, it is. But again, because it was released limited qu quantities, it's super expensive to purchase. Yeah, nowadays. they want uh, this. This this website wants eighty dollars for it. <laughs> That's ridiculous. <laughs> Which is uh, refurbished, by the way. <laughs> so again, absolutely not. Yeah, exactly. So, but uh, anyway, it's like in regards to also, it's it's, it's kind of weird that you know Metroid Prime Remaster comes out, and I actually recently re re rebought Metroid Prime recently on the on the GameCube. So like mm -hmm. you know, it's the same game. I might as well just go. If I'm if uh, I'm not gonna be able to get hold of Retro Primary Masters, I might as well just replay that. Effectively. Right. So like you know, my TV. I mean, can the only difference, yeah, yeah, the only difference is that um, you it's the they um modernize the controls and also the um the art style and the um the graphics have improved a lot since. It oh, came I'll out just squint and wave my GameCube controller around. Well, I'm, I'm putting the buttons. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Now you're in the Metro Prime Remastered experience. <laughs> squinting. Squinting. Metro Prime re-squinting. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, I, I'm always upset when scalpers come in and just ruin opportunities for people to actually buy games legitimately because, I mean, this will just go to show that of how desperate they are to nickel and dime gamers. I mean, well, I mean they did, this, just, they did yeah. the same thing with the PS5 consoles. In which, I know, you yeah, know, but I mean, that the, this is the thing, like, you know, unfortunately, this is where we are now, and, uh, you know, unfortunately, you know, the consumer needs to make a stand and say, like, you know, oh, hey, you want to charge me $120 for that? Like, no, I'll go take my entertainment elsewhere. You know, like, you know, yeah. you, you've got to make a stand. You know, like, you, if you if you basically tell a scalper that you're not going to buy his shit, then, you know, he's not, he, he's going to get bored of it. Like, well, you know, like, okay, well, I'll go scalp somebody else. You know? Yeah. Like, he's just like, you know, mm -hmm. take us seriously, people, take a stand. Goodness sake, stop, stop, pay, stop paying the ransom, you know? Yeah, exactly. I'm sure that they'll be releasing more copies in the future that you can be able to purchase physically. So you don't have to worry about having to wheel well, to the download scalpers. it off the, off the Nintendo store, for goodness sake. It's available. Or, or you could do that too, sure. Exactly, yeah. I, I think, isn't the, isn't the download cheaper than the physical copy? They're the same price. Are they? Oh, okay. Then well, why? Yeah, it's 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 forty dollars. Yeah. Why? Some people some people prefer to. I mean, it's here's the thing. This is the massive debate. That people have been having. Do you get something digital or do you get something physical? Well, why should they be the same price? I mean, here's the thing. I think that if you do get it physical, it would be a little bit more expensive due to taxes. So, I mean, at least for a physical copy, I mean, you do you do have access to a physical copy. Whereas, eventually, I'm sure that the Nintendo Switch's servers will shut down, and maybe you won't be able to have access to those games anymore. Yeah, I so don't know. Like, I, I just feel like you know, um, I, I mean, maybe they maybe maybe server storage on like for the game maybe costs money. I don't know, but I mean, it just kind of feels strange that you know, getting you know, having a physical copy made, boxed, shipped, and then you know, driven to the store. Is somehow the same price as basically downloading it off the internet. It just seems mm -hmm. strange to me. I don't know. So maybe maybe someone who has, maybe maybe someone who understands marketing more probably understand it. Probably explains it to me better than I do. But to me, it makes no sense. Okay, then that's fine. Okay. And finally, let's go over to our next bit of news. So let's talk about one of our favorite topics. AI. Yeah, we've talked about AI taking over actors and <laughs> films. We've talked about AI possibly taking over voice actors. But now apparently AI is able to become just as good, if not better, than people who play video games. Well, yeah, I can kind of understand why. Because, I mean, like, uh, I mean, AI probably has a better understanding of video games than probably, like, you know, a guy 
with a controller who has only, like, buttons and, like, you know, a thumbstick at his disposal, pretty much. And so, like, you know, I probably imagine AI probably has, like, you know, uh, an understanding of the inner working of the game. So, like, uh, but, you know, who the heck wants to sit around watching an artificial intelligence complete a game? Yeah, so let's talk about this, shall we? So GT Sophie is an AI agent built by Sony, of all things. And it was playing Gran Turismo 7. And it was able to do it much better than human beings because it was trained using the latest AI methods. So it says right here that... um, So I'm guessing it didn't get drunk and drive it into a tree then. (laughs) Of course it was going to do it better. Like, you know... (laughs) Yeah, like it's just it's um I'm not I'm not you know yeah of course it does. So. <laughs> Who does that by the way? <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know. Like it's just it's just it's, I'm sorry. Like I'm 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 you know uh, if I'm supposed to be amazed that you know a, a computer can play something better than a human can. I mean don't get me wrong. Like we've had CPU like you know easy normal and hard mode obviously in that. So like you know obviously there's times when we can actually beat the computer. In like you know doing that, actually, actually no, I'll tell you what, that actually would be impressive. Like you know, what if you taught an AI computer to how to play WWF No Mercy, and uh, <laughs> then you know if, sure. see if I can beat it. Like you know, I'll be interested to see if I can try and beat that character. See if we can beat AI. It's you know it's uh, WWF No Mercy. I'll be interested to see that. <laughs> wow, I mean, out of all the games that you want to challenge an AI for, checkers, chess, Gran Turismo, you want WWF No Mercy for the N64? Yeah, I think I could take AI on that. Okay, that's that's uh that's a very interesting choice. Yeah, I mean, like, well, if uh, if if it was down to like you know the uh, AI apocalypse and uh, you know like you know the uh, the big Skynet computers said like you know Aaron, you are the one who's going to save all humanity. Like you know we cho- make your choices. Like okay, WWF no mercy for the N sixty four. It got a reminding of that episode of Futurama where the the fate of the world la- uh, landed on Fry when he had to play the last level of Space Invaders. Yeah, <laughs> maybe something like that. Yeah. So yeah. Anyway, so in addition to Gran Turismo 7, Microsoft decided to try AI on Minecraft. And it says that uh, it was doing everything from steering clear of lava to chopping trees and making furnaces. And so the reason why they're doing all of these tests is because they want to do a bit of research that argued that maybe these applications can be able to inspire things such as managing a team of uh, various things, such as um, employees in an ever-changing environment or a war zone or a pandemic-stricken region. So instead of people, they want to do this to AI. Hmm. You know, it's just, it's... um. I, I really don't know what to make of it, really. Like, it's just, it's, uh, I mean, um, artificial intelligence. Like, it's just, it's, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's, its implications are starting to, like, become, like, you know, even more, like, you know, widespread. But then at the same time, it's kind of like, you know, uh, why are they sort of kind of, like, doing this at the same time? Like, it's just, it's, uh, yeah, I just, I just find all this news about AI just strange. really yeah i I do find it strange too i mean but i'm sure that some you know for some people it's inevitable that you know a lot of people would be replaced by machinery just like what happened with a lot of you know stores and restaurants so i take it that you know eventually people would be replaced by artificial intelligence saying well they are able to do it a lot better so why do we need your help i I mean yeah like you know my, 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 my here's the thing about this like you know you can't get the same 
you know, type of thing out of an AI than you can get out of a human being. And uh, I think people really seriously need to, you know, consider that, I think, before making these choices about, like, whether it's actually, like, oh, hey, here's this AI thing that looks kind of cool. It's like, is it? Really? Mm-hmm. Like, you right. know, it's like, oh, hey, this AI can beat a video game. It's like, really? You can't? You know? Mm. It's just, it's, yeah. you know, well, it's pretty scary. Um, well, it's not scary. It's just confusing to me. Well, I think it's scary because, I mean, if something that is, uh, you know, essentially an artificial intelligence can be able to just essentially do everything that a person can do and better, I mean, it's like, you know, what does a person's purpose have? Well, here's the thing about this. Like, you know, there's been this whole, like, uh, talk about, like, AI like, doing this, that, and the other. But keep this in mind. It took a human to create it effectively and so like you know what 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 is it that the ai you know is no you know it knows now that wasn't already kind of already existed if if you will like something like the ai images right you know there's been this whole thing about the ai images like you know being you know there's this moral thing you know uh argument being made that so you know um it's being used from copyrighted images and like you know from yeah. like stuff of you know that people you know and now there's actually now tools that actually show uh if you put an image in it shows if the ai actually knows about it or not and if it does you can basically take action over it and also yeah, on top of that, also on top of that as well like you know did you uh, i think i showed you that tweet before of like that voice actor who was uh Going around saying like, "Oh, hey, if you want to uh, get your like voice off like these AI generators, you know, you can send a cease and desist to this email address." Yeah, that so, was Steve Bloom. We talked oh, that, about yeah, that Steve Bloom. Yeah, exactly. So like, uh, you know, I think you know, while it, the it may look scary, I mean, like, you know, humans are fighting back effectively. Like, you know, it's yeah. uh, there is going to be some massive pushback of all of this because if it's shown that artificial intelligence has like you know done some like massive amounts of plagiarism, you know, like it could be sued out of existence effectively. Right. So, you know, like, you know, uh, it, it may be scary, but there is hope, you know? So Yeah, let's just hope that we don't uh, talk about in 2027 where this uh, new company called Skynet starts. Well, <laughs> should we just leave it at that? Yeah, let's let's leave it at that because okay. I don't want to think about it anymore. Yeah. All right, everyone. So that's it for this show. We're sorry that we posted a you know a lot later than we normally would, but we've just been really really busy. Oh and, yeah. Um and and hopefully sometime this week we'll be doing our none of the above of 2023 because the Kids Choice Awards will be airing this Saturday. Exactly. So uh, we will be uh, trying to we'll try and record that this week and to try and get it out to you as soon as possible before the uh, and by the way like you know the week afterwards then we'll talk about the results after that. So. Yes, we will. All right. Take care, everybody. See you, everyone.